0: Welcome back to another episode of Sweat and Bullets, a fantasy football podcast. I'm your host, DF Bean Counter. You can follow me on Twitter at DF Bean Counter. With me today and always is Jacob Sanderson. You can follow him on Twitter at Jacob Sanderson. How are you doing? It's I'm like doing a, good. It, a Tuesday night. It's late. Like it should be in bed, but here we are. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's uh, we always record late. I mean, between,
1: between being on the West Coast and you seemingly having these children that you're always doing stuff with, <laughs> and me generally being an, a person of the PM, uh, yeah, late recording, 9.43 PM over here in the West Coast. Uh, and so- we're going to talk a little bit about the 2023 fantasy season today. We're going to talk about projections, which is the thing that I do now. Drew used to do. Yeah, seven times.
0: (laughs) So, yeah. Projections. Drew's slacking off. I'm putting in the work. eh, It's not slacking off. It's, uh, well, I'm not going to say bad things about projections now that you've started doing projections. So you go ahead and. No, I'll say bad things about them. Tell the world why you would do projections for fantasy football when we know with 100% certainty that they're wrong.
1: So it is actually, it is interesting that I did projections. I have generally, I'm like known in the Bulletproof Discord for constantly deriding projections. Uh, pretty much any time that I have a take and then someone's rebuttal of that take is, but Mike Clay's projections say this, I start like furiously typing like that cat in the gif uh, because it bothers <laughs> me. I think when people rely on projections as some form of gospel to the point that when I release my projections, on my substack, thinking about thinking, jacobsanderson.substack.com. I released it with the title, Projections Overview, and the subtitle, I've succumbed to the projection industrial complex, and I'm gonna tell you why they're probably gonna do more harm than good. Uh, and that's that's generally my, my attitude about projections. There's a few issues I have with them, and I don't think that that means that they're useless or that people shouldn't do them. Obviously, I just spent a lot of hours doing them, but I do think that they can do more harm than good if taken without context, and the reasons for that are, First of all, fantasy football isn't really a median game. Like the way that most people are doing projections is you're trying to capture what you think is a reasonable or likely median scenario. And to do that, even if you do it really well, isn't actually ordering your players in the way that you necessarily want to draft them for fantasy. So if you're simply taking your projections and making those your rankings, I think you would probably be better off simply drafting players in their exact order off of ADP than their exact order of off of even a good set of projections. Because generally, when the ADP is ahead of a player versus projection or they're behind a player versus projection, I think what the ADP is usually telling us is something fairly wise. They're telling us that, you know, this player is probably about the maximum right now of what they've shown, of what we can actually expect. They don't necessarily have a lot of room to grow. So we're going to price them down into round five when they might project like they're in round four. Or this player, we don't really know what their role is going to be. They're in a really ambiguous situation, but we believe in this talent profile. So we're going to move this player up around versus how they're projected. You look at some of the running back dead zone research, and I cited this in the piece. Um, An interesting element to the running back dead zone that Ben Gretz just pointed out is this idea of the wisdom of the crowds where historically the worst picks in the running back dead zone tend to be players that have already produced at a starting level that are then being drafted in the middle rounds because effectively the market is saying, yeah, this guy just isn't very good. Like we've seen all that we need to see and we're not that interested versus the players that have tended to hit out of that dead zone tend to be rookies players in potentially new roles, players in ambiguous situations where the market is saying, we don't know what this player is going to be. We can't project them necessarily what the touches are going to be, but we're, we're intrigued enough about the talent of this bet. And those tend to be those middle-round picks that pay off more often than the projectable volume picks. So those are kind of all the reasons why I think projections are are bad. Each of those can only get compounded if the projections are then inaccurate, right? Even if even if the projections are accurate and good, I think they can have, cause a lot of harm. Imagine if they're terrible. And with all that said, why I think they're a worthy exercise is the process of doing them. I think that the actual output of the projections is a fairly limited value. All it tells you is a snapshot of one person's subjective view of, the, of one potential scenario within a range of outcomes. And ideally, that scenario is a fairly reasonable one, somewhere towards the median. But it doesn't give you the whole picture of the range of outcomes that we're drafting, and that's what we're drafting, is a range of outcomes for these players. and. I do think that doing the projections helps paint you that picture. You start to do a team, right? And I'll, I'll use an example of the 49ers. Don't do that team. Why?
0: I don't know. They're boring. Oh, okay. Do the uh-huh. Um,
1: okay. Well, they're not necessarily the best example for what I'm talking <laughs>
0: about. <laughs> I'll trying to pigeonhole you. Do the 49ers do the 49ers. They're great. Okay. 49ers are always the perfect team to use in this example, which is
1: the way that I so like my process generally is I first I'll use this for wide receivers as, as the example here. First I try to be like, okay, how many routes do I think each of these wide receivers are gonna run? And then I look at okay, roughly how many targets do I think this player earns on a per route basis. And then we produce the target shares out. And ideally, I have a little bit left for overflow at the end for players that I'm not actually projecting because I don't project every single player on the 53-man roster. Some teams, like the 49ers, I wind up and I do that first run and I get like negative five in my overflow because all these players earn more target share in a vacuum and they're capable of earning together on that team. And other teams, like the Panthers, it's the opposite. It's like I go through it and I'm like, this is what DJ Chark earns. This is what Thielen earns. This
0: is what Marshall earns. This is what, what Mingo's going to, to earn. then you clear... You're like, what you're saying is that it's possible that these wide receivers are just walking around picking up targets laying on the ground. They're vacated. <laughs> Somebody has to catch the ball. That's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, that's Poss- saying. It's possible you're saying that. But, right. So the, and you, we talked about this idea of this vacated
1: targets thing. And honestly, this is this is where projections, I think, are actually an interesting exercise. Is people often talk about this idea of the vacated targets. Are a lot of targets available. A lot of targets available. This person's walking into target. That's one of my favorite phrases walking into targets. Yeah. Right. It's like, it's like someone It's like Regina George in Mean Girls. She walked into a bus, DJ charts, walking into targets. Like they're just coming down the street. He's walking right into them. Um, and you get to the situation where it's like, Oh, I projected everybody for what I think they're worth in a vacuum. And I have like 13% target share left over and that's obviously not going to work. So you kind of allocate it. And how does this work out over a team level? Well, you you everybody gets a little more than they'd earn in a vacuum, right? Whatever TJ chart's target earning ability is on median NFL depth chart, he's gonna earn more than that this year because the competition is lighter, a little bit more. Doesn't mean he's gonna earn 24%, but he'll earn, you know, it's like if he's if he's worthy, I can't remember what I have in that. But let's say it's like his baseline targets per run is 15%. Maybe this year he has 16.5%. That's possible. But what happens is this little bump gets equally distributed amongst all the main players. And then you just have a way higher proportion of targets going to tertiary players because they're probably going to rotate routes around more. They're probably going to throw more to running backs and tight ends. They're going to just keep bringing in new guys. Like they might sign guys midseason. They might be like, "This guy sucks after six weeks," and then put in a new guy. And what usually wind up happening is you get a situation like the, what was it, the Saints in the year that Thomas Bethol season, and it was like I don't think anybody had more than eighteen percent of their target share, right? You think yeah. about the Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence's first year. I think Marvin Jones led them in target share. 18 or 19%, because everything just becomes diffuse. And then you you see this opposite effect where you know it's like pressurizing. I, I've used the example of like the diamond, right? The sand getting pressurized and, and becoming a diamond, or diamonds work, I don't really know exactly. But like with the, four, with the 49ers of the Eagles are another great example. It's like, because you kind of have to nerf the volume intake for each of these players because they're so good and they're all together, that they're probably going to become even more efficient because they're not forcing the balls off into these guys, right? They're, they're getting it when they're in advantageous positions, they're getting a higher proportion of their first three targets. The, oftentimes there's multiple guys open, so you're not forcing it to someone. And everybody plays a little bit above their station in terms of their efficiency. And you get the opposite in these other situations, right? The Patriots, the Panthers, it's like everybody's kind of efficiency has to go down because DJ Chark didn't magically become better at route running, you know, because he's on a bad depth chart. Probably a lot of those expert targets are targets where he's not open, and then nobody else is open, they're like, okay, I guess I'll throw it to you, and, and then that becomes an incompletion or, or he gets tackled right away. Picking on Shark. I don't know why I'm picking on him in particular. I should pick on You King could pick on, on someone him. else. Okay. Juju Schuster.
0: Guys. You could pick on Juju um, Schuster. You could pick DeBonte on Devontae Parker. Mecole Hardman filling in for Tyreek Hill last year. <laughs> it was destined, preordained from his draft year onward for like 17 consecutive years. It was going to happen, and then it happened, and it was one for one. Replacement Alan Lazard last year. Alan Lazard was the Devontae Adams, like clear as day. Yeah. Yeah, there's tons of these examples.
1: Right. So, anyway, all that's to say, what is interesting when you do the projections is you do realize, like, okay, who has a lot of contingent value, you know, because you're getting this pressurized environment, but also his projection might be bad. And ideally, you can balance these. Ideally, you can look at some players' ADPs and say, you know what, like, this player is in a really tough spot. They need a lot of things to happen to be able to pay off of their ADP. And then you look at other players and it's like, okay, this player also has some of these same contingent value upside factors. There's other guys that are are jamming up their targets, but they're a lot closer in price to their projection than this other guy. And, you know, that's probably the guys you want to prioritize. And at the same time, you look at the environment, like the Atlanta Falcons are a great example of this, where it's like, okay, if you want to bet on pits in London, you, you kind of have to play this game of like, you know they don't they don't project awesome, right? It's impossible to make them project awesome because of how low pass rate the Falcons were, and because I don't expect Desmond Ritter to be particularly efficient. But if you no, want but... to, and what I would, what I, what I encourage everybody to do is if you are thinking about things, subscriber, is make a copy of the spreadsheet and play around with it. Just type in different numbers, but okay, hypothetically, if Desmond Ritter is good, what's the efficiency of this offense? Hypothetically, if they pass the league average rate, what does this offense look like? And start to build it out and see like okay, how high can I get this to where it's reasonable and play out? What's the 90th percentile outcome look like? What's the 95th percentile outcome look like? And I think that that's the interesting part for me. It's the interesting part is like, okay, I'm in some spots, but I can't get this guy anymore, but I really want to. I'm getting this guy all that he can handle. I think that process of tinkering around and trying to figure out what needs to happen for players to hit or to miss at their ADP is the part of the doing projections. is interesting. Even if I deleted all the outputs, I think just doing that process is, is, what i mostly derive value from and i hope that with the preamble that i wrote and people seeing that that they can derive a little bit more value from that process as well and that way of thinking about things versus just looking and sorting my points per game
0: yeah no i i um when i say that projections are bad i don't mean that they're like bad (laughs) i just i think that people often take them in a entirely wrong way we're not drafting anyone based on their 50th percentile outcome we're we're looking at where they're priced versus what their you know projection is and then what can happen what could change so when you look at like uh you know like like i infamously or famously depending on your your stance on the matter did a huge thread on dj Moore and h.a brown two or three years ago And the crux of it was that AJ Brown was the wide receiver one overall in dynasty at the time. And I was like, his projections do not line up with this. Like a lot needs to change. He needs to jump like five percentage points in target share or the Tennessee Titans need to like really ramp up the volume, which we've never seen them do in like the last decade. So this just doesn't make sense. Like dude can ball is only so like only so much analysis can go or only, only so many points come from dude can ball. Like, Dude can ball, sure, he will outscore what other guys will score in the same situation, but if his situation is so bad, it doesn't matter if he can ball. or Well, it does, but it depends on where he's priced, right? If he's priced at wide receiver one and you're looking at it and you're like, this guy's probably going to score like 15, 16 points per game, that doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Conversely, you look at DJ Moore and you're like, this guy's priced at wide receiver 15 and he's probably going to score 15, 16 points per game. Well, that's a lot more interesting then because now we're talking about well, what if the quarterback actually is okay? He's probably not okay, but that's priced in. The quarterback was good. If he was playing with Aaron Rodgers, DJ Moore wouldn't have been wide receiver 15. He'd been wide receiver three. And it, it's like that kind of like projection level that you need to understand in order to, I think, effectively navigate fantasy football drafts. And I think like doing the full scale projections is a really good exercise in helping you get familiar with that and, uh, yeah, like Jacob said, I, I would. If you've never done it before, I would just jump in there and start playing, messing around. Because by the time you get like a player that is, you know, playing for X team, and then you look at where he's being drafted, and then you look at where you think he's actually going to score, and you're like, "Well, okay, well, how do we get him there?" If that's something that's just like we've never seen it before, <laughs> then I'm right. usually just not interested. That then, that is ultimately the thing. Like I. You know, I
1: care a little bit when we're talking about best ball drafts, right? It's like, okay, I'm in, I'm going to be doing 400 best ball drafts when I'm like, oh, Mike Williams comes out pretty good. It's like, yeah, that, that interests me to like a point, but for the most part, what I'm using these projections for is like guys who I fundamentally believe on as talents. I'll, I'll use an example of like uh, JK Dobbins is, is a good example of a player that I'm, I'm really interested on from a talent level, but I know he has concerns and going through this exercise i don't really care what the final number i landed on is but i'm more just like like i even spent time just tinkering around being like okay what if i change this what if i change this like how high can i get him until it's, it's no longer reasonable um and i think like you you play this game with with you know any player that you want right um or, or similarly you know i wouldn't even do it with like players that you're fading because a lot of times players that you're fading like if you're fading someone then you don't really have to worry about the projection because the answer to how does the player fail is they're bad and they don't play anymore. Right. <laughs> That's usually the thing, right. It's like, if you're, if you're like, Oh my God, like I just can't, man, like Zay Jones projects too good. It's like, well, you know, a certain point you can just say, yeah, but what if Zay Jones is bad? And then that, you know, then that changes <laughs> the calculus. Right. <laughs> um, but absolutely from like the Seattle's another good example of this, right? I had a lot of fun on that sheet where I was like, all right, what is like the most likely scenario for Jackson, and Jigba. And then it was like, okay, now what would I do if I assume that they're going to go full Rams and they're now going to play an 11 personnel every snap. Okay. What would I do if I was to say DK Metcalf to save the trade and trading What would I do if Tyler Lockett was to become not very good and, you know, hit the H cliff and be, more of like a wide receiver three level talent like you can play all around the other these games and see like you know what is the upside on this player actually because a lot of times people just say indiscriminately
0: this player's got a high ceiling um i was actually ranting about this in my car earlier today i was like people literally go out onto the internet and they're like this guy has a good ceiling high ceiling and i'm like based on what? what what have we seen from this guy that suggests a high ceiling you have no idea if that guy has a high ceiling because you're just saying it like with no substance. You're just like, he has a high ceiling. And I'm like, how do I how do I even counter that? I don't even know what to say. Like, no, he doesn't. And, <laughs> and that's the conversation. Like, if you're going to point out somebody's ceiling, in my opinion, you can do it. How, you know what? Do whatever you want. If I'm going to say somebody has a high ceiling, I'm going to show you this is how he gets to that ceiling. A, B, C happens. We're there. And then, or, or. Or A B C D E F G happens and then we're there, and I'm like, that's never gonna happen. We're not get, we're not hitting six. I don't even know. I don't I don't gamble. What do you hit on a slot machine? Six bars? No, six three cherries. Cherries three. are the good ones? Three. Yeah, three, three. cherries. I don't, I don't gamble. Anyways, the point yeah, is you're not gonna get a whole bunch of things. Like if if it requires a laundry list of things to go right, right, then that's not a real bet. Just stop how many
1: likes are in your parlay? Yeah. It's
0: I mean, mean, we had this conversation
1: in the Discord where, like, yeah, my DeAndre Swift projection is is really low. To be fair, that's the case for most players in backfields where you can kind of project three players for roles. Like, if a backfield has three players projected for roles and they have a mobile quarterback, the backfield's going to project like shit because I'm splitting carries four
0: ways. Kenneth Gainwell for a role? Or is it someone else?
1: I certainly am projecting Kenneth Gainwell for a role. Kenneth Gainwell. He he had a role last year. He had a role that no neither of the other players play, which is a long down and distance role. I expect him to probably keep that role. But you might not. Jonathan Gainwell.
0: Well. Like we're talking about the guy from where did he play again? Memphis. Tony Pollard's they backup. Uh, did they overlap much? I don't know if they did much. I think he. I think he. I think he overlapped a little more with
1: Gibson. No. Oh. But he was they not mean. the backup. He, he was like he was the lead of, of was just, the. Wasn't he the Belkow? <laughs> of the four Memphis boys, she was the best college player for sure. And the latest drafted somehow, which is kind of crazy. Um, I guess it's he's also the tiny. worst. Uh, I mean, Daryl Henderson, honestly, is probably the worst at this point. Okay.
0: Daryl Henderson was like the, like the what do you call it? Like the lead horse, though. Like he was the first guy. He like paved the way for everyone else, didn't he? Yeah, it was
1: uh, Hendo. I think Hendo and Paul were in the same draft class, I want to say. Oh yeah, but Pollard basically didn't get. But to play Hendo, play. Hendo, Hendo, and Gainwell like actually played running back, and Pollard and Gibson were like hybrid receiver running backs.
0: Okay, I just I'm I'm curious, how many RB like let's call it threes on an NFL team get 300 yards in a season?
1: Well, in re- this, okay, is so that a role or is, this is that just this like is, a this is, so this is projecting several different aspects of this, which the real answer is a lot. And the reason why is usually because RB1 or RB2 gets hurt. Um, how many RB3s get 300 yards in a season without injuries to one or two? I would guess very few. But part of this issue is, so this is, this is a fundamental issue in projection. So it's like Maybe what the
0: question. issue is, is you're projecting something that rarely ever happens.
1: So this is the like, issue. It's that, uh, Well, Gainwell was effectively the RB3 last year.
0: And got 300 yards
1: uh he had actually over 400
0: oh that guy's good
1: um i mean he was because he had a role right like boston scott was effectively Miles sanders direct backup and gainwell had his own role mm. the, the that's, what, so I, cool. like, that's what it's been the last two years um so part of the issue with some of these situations is like it's very it's false well, it gets easier to project things when we have like a certain level of knowledge where it's like okay Jaguars. I'll use an example. They're a very consolidated route theme last year. Okay, so who's running the routes this year? Calvin Ridley, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram. They're going to run all the routes. And the only way that other guys run routes is if one of them gets hurt. That's that's pretty projectable. Like they're always going to be the guys that are going to be running the routes. Chiefs can fucking tell you. <laughs> so it's like, do I I'll actually project? I'll tell you.
0: It's Sky Moore. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so with the, the cheese is a great example like i think i gave like n- a not insignificant route share to like six different guys do i actually think that they're going to run a six-man rotation probably not but you kind of create this weird scenario where it's like what should i do here should i a pick like the single most likely arrangement of what i think is going to happen and then just project full bore like that's going to happen or should i kind of hedge to some extent where it's like like, do I actually think that, you know, these guys are going to split this role 60-40? Or is it more am I saying that there's like a 60% chance this player is going to play 80% and there's a 40% chance this is going to play 20%? Like, you kind of end up in this weird zone where you're between medians and means. And I usually kind of wind up hedging. Point being, in spots like the, the Eagles are a great example, the Bears are a great example, and the Saints are a great example backfield-wise. Uh, and the Dolphins, although they might even just sign Dalvin Cook and everything might be moved. Like these are backfields where currently three players are drafted in every single draft if you're doing best ball drafts. And I think that three players have like a pretty viable chance of earning a role. I also think by the time like week 10 rolls around and if all three are healthy, one of them probably just doesn't have a role. But I, I don't necessarily know who that is. And also one of them probably just gets hurt. So you're in this spot where nobody projects very well. Like in the Bears offense, I don't think I have anyone projecting at 10 points per game. I don't have any of the backs projecting at 10 points a game in the Eagles. I would be shocked if that actually happens. It's just I don't really know how to consolidate it yet. It, this would be had a discussion about Swift. And yeah, I basically said, like, if you're a Swift fan and you want to paint the ceiling for Swift, go for it. Do exactly what I mentioned before. Like change the Take a copy, change the other inputs. Is it you think the Eagles will run more, pass more, pass more efficiently, run more efficiently, whatever, like team-wide changes? Look at that. If you think it's just in terms of the teams, like, okay, first thing you can do, you can say, I think Kenny Gainwell will have zero role in this offense. And you can just give all of his carries and targets to Swift if you want to, right? You can do that. And then you can say, okay, now what's the output, right? Are we getting closer to where I want to draft him? Okay, Uh, closer. Okay, I think Swift's going to have more targets. Okay, easy enough to say in a vacuum. Where are the targets coming from? Like, is, are these coming from AJ Brown, Smith, Goddard, a little bit of everybody? Like, it, right? Play out this game. And I'm not saying you can't play this game. It's just this is what I'm saying, right? This is one snapshot of my Quite view very wrong on snapshot. a scenario. And if you and if you disagree on a certain player, play through this game and then show me how he gets there. Right? I think you. I mean, this is how far wide ranging these are, especially in situations where a lot is uncertain right a lot of them certain with the eagles backfield it's they've never really had a player like swift in it in the last couple of years they only have one year of data really on how this backfield ran at like a full-on hurts aj brown this iteration of this offense they lost sanders they added swift they added penny Played a lot of different ways as far as i'm concerned i think you could get swift up to 14 15 points per game my question is you know what, what do you do what's the effect on other guys and if you're very certain about swift that's where your certainty lies might make you a little less interested in Goddard or Brent or Smith. Or I think it's also fine to look at certain situations and, and you don't have to like, people will do this all the time and say, well, if you're high on this guy, you have to be low on this guy. Uh, I disagree with that too. I think there's certain situations you can look at and say, I'm optimistic about the situation and it's ambiguous. And like the Ravens is an example of this. When I draft Rashad Bateman, I tell myself, the story of how OBJ is old and dust and Zay flowers is mediocre and Bateman consolidates all the wide receivers targets in the offense. And then when I draft Zay flowers, I tell myself the story of how OBJ is old and dust and Bateman is forever injured and disappointing and flowers is going to be a stud rookie from day one, be the best wide receiver on the team. Like you can, you can sell yourself on both the stories and both are plausible and you don't have to carry over one assumption to the next guy. You can play into the ambiguity of it. If you like the situation,
0: I think one of the other things I'll mention on this is with uh, with someone like DeAndre Swift uh, or or like really any any player real, realistically when we're talking about like these uncertain situations, what I often like to do is is break it down to like a game rather than the whole season because, yeah, DeAndre Swift probably isn't going to smash for the whole season. But what if Rashad Penny gets hurt for a game? And what does that look like? And then you're like, okay, what, what if Rashad Penny gets hurt the first game then? It's like okay, well, that's a lot more interesting, and then and you just kind of like go through it on like a game by game basis, especially when you're talking about like this like uh, contingent upside type players. Um, Like uh, AJ Dillon would be another one where you'd kind of look at it from that perspective, where it's like season long. Yeah, he's probably not going to be great, but what happens if Aaron Jones gets hurt? Well, then I'm really going to like AJ Dillon. (laughs) Actually, I actually you're going to make fun of me for this, but we argued a
1: lot about. The, the idea of AJ Dillon standalone value last year. And it was kind of like a meme because I was really seeing it more in a best ball context than in a redraft context. And anyway, I actually think he might have standalone value this year.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in, in redraft or in best ball?
1: Well, definitely best ball. And, I don't know if, like, value is the right word for it, but I think you could start A.J. Dillon in the flex all year and not hit I haven't projected 11.2 points per game. We'll see because I have Green Bay running a lot more and running more plays um, without Aaron Rodgers. And I have a pretty tight split between Jones and Dillon and carries. obviously Jones with way more of the receiving. But the other notable thing is, like, Dillon really did take over last year as the goal line back. He, he had, I think it was, like, seven to two in touchdowns or something like that, rush touchdowns. So... I do actually have AJ Dillon for for standalone value of eleven points oh. per game this year.
0: So then so then in a situation like this, you run the projections, you're like, Yeah, no, I actually think like he's got actual standalone value. And then you're like, but well, what happens if AJ or right. Aaron Jones gets hurt? Well then I get the smash. So now I really want AJ Dillon when he's going in round, I don't know, seven in redraft? Eighth? Where's he going in like AJ Dillon? AJ yeah. Dillon's going to the ninth. Ninth. So like yeah. last year he was going in, like the fourth. This year he's going in the ninth. Now, when we're playing the game of what happens if right. we're getting a huge smash, whereas last year when you were playing the game, what happens if we're breaking even? So that's where, where I, like, come back on, like, projections yeah. are really valuable, but they're they're not in, like, a, you don't do the projection and then you're like, okay, start the players, that's the order we'll pick them in. Like, those are the guys you're going to score the right. most. What we're looking for is the 90th percentile outcome. What happens if something great happens versus where they're being priced? What I would look at a
1: lot for running backs too is like if you if you let's assume that you generally agree with my team level prints, which obviously you don't have to, but if you like look through and you're like, yeah, I think that the team level analysis is, is generally good. And so you, you work off of that assumption. Um or, or you choose not to look at my projections. You look at any projections that you like, whoever you think is doing a good job of, of team level projections. What I would encourage you to do for running backs especially, and especially like running backs once you get past the true we're playing every now and our courses available the first couple of rounds, focus a lot less on the projected points per game that I have for them individually, and a lot more on the team level running back points per game and on the skill sets that that player has and the other players in the backfield. And it's fun when you look at AJ Dillon and you're like, I have a lot, I have a decent chunk of points projected for running backs in green Bay because you know, for several reasons, I think they're going to run a lot. Um, they tend to, to run efficiently and they don't really have a lot of proven pass catchers. So you're probably gonna have a decent target share going to running backs, especially if they tend to use running backs to goal in. So you get a lot of total running back points. And you look at it, it's like there's only two guys. Uh, n- name for me the name for me a Green Bay running back that's not Aaron Jones or AJ Dillon without looking at the sheet. <laughs>
0: Uh, I, the only guy I can think of is the and I can't even remember his name, but there was a, I think he was a UDFA last year that I kind of liked that when it ended up going undrafted. Is he still with them? He didn't play at all um, last year. I think he got hurt. UDFA. I'm pretty sure. Is he, maybe he's a seventh round pick. Yeah. Are you
1: thinking of Kylan Hill? Yeah. Kylan Hill got caught by them. He's now a free agent.
0: Okay. I don't know if it was, maybe it was Kylan Hill. Kylan Hill was a Debbie darling. So maybe that's who it was.
1: Yeah. He was a big Debbie guy. He got, he got caught. Um, Anyway, Patrick Taylor is, is on the Packers. uh, And he was like their third running back last year. Patrick Taylor, I think like received carries and I want to say one game. And it was when both Green Bay running backs were injured. Otherwise he just did not have a role. If the other two running backs were healthy, he had zero role. Uh, And then they have Lou Nichols. who they got in the seventh round. So I don't know. One, one of those two is going to be like the second back or the third back. And they're going to have no role if the other two are active. So you think about it, it's like, all right, you subtract one of these players. How much of that total 25 running back points per game is this other guy walking into? And it's like probably a decent chunk, right? And okay, it probably reduces by a little bit, right? All of a sudden, you don't have these two running backs. The total shared running back goes down a bit. So let's say that 25 comes down to 23, whatever. You project it out. And then you say, okay, well, now this third back's going to do a little bit of something. This guy's going to need a Gatorade. But... You tell you can easily tell yourself, like, you know, one of Dylan or Jones goes down, maybe the remainder gets 18 points per game. But you can tell yourself that story. Um, whereas you look at some of these backfields and it's like, oh, there's only 20 points per game available here. <laughs> so even if one guy gets hurt, now how much can this guy walk into? What skills does the player have? The nice thing with AJ Dylan is like he's not a great receiver, but he seems to be like a good enough receiver that like he could absorb targets like i don't think it's like we have to sub him out every time we try to pass that's the issue with some of these backfields like we'll talk about with chicago it's like you know contingent upside on roshan johnson a little interesting he could potentially play on all three downs with herbert like that's a player i really love from a talent perspective so i'd like to see the ceiling because i think he's really good but it's like even if i give him the role i give him and i decide that foreman has no role i either say he's gonna get hurt or i banish him by royal decree it's like like i give Herbert all the rushing still not playing any pass down even if roshan johnson got hurt he's never playing a pass down he can't do it fields taking all the rushing it's like i can't really get him past like 14 points per game which which makes him like a best ball only pick for me right and you can do that with these certain running backs you see like where is the ceiling does he have a high ceiling okay what's the ceiling it might be 13 points per game
0: the the other thing i'll mention is um when looking at Project, I don't know how you do your projections, but I I've seen people where they're like they like back their way into a projection. I'm assuming you're not doing that cuz you're smart enough that. Back. A like, by hey, backing their way in. AJ Brown's going to score 20 points per game cuz he's awesome. And they're like how are you going to get there? And they're like, "Well, he's going to get." And Then they like <laughs> work their way back. 30% of the targets, they're going to increase their pass attempts by 5 per game and voilà. It's like, well, that's not how it works, you buffoon. Like, when you're doing yeah. projections like this, you always start at the team level with this team is going to have, I don't know, 35 pass attempts per game and 23 rush attempts. Or or, or better yet, a range, right? Like, the I, I'm picking on the Titans because it's the one I talk the most about uh, from the A.J. Brown era. But, like, when you're looking at the Titans, it's like, okay, well, you know, they have... Uh, not exceeded 30 pass attempts per game in the last 10 years. So the range of outcomes here is pretty low. Like if we're going to get to 35, it's going to be a big outlier. And then how is that price versus the market? Uh The Lamar Jackson's another great example where after his like third season, I think it was, I don't know the one of the seasons, everyone was like, they're definitely not going to pass the ball enough to make right. anybody relevant. It was like, okay, I agree, they are probably not going to pass the ball enough to make anybody relevant. That's so priced into this projection and this ADP that what happens if something unusual does happen? Well, then we get a huge freaking monster season out of Mark Andrews because he's going to have 26% of the targets, and if the pie grows, then everything grows for him. And that's not priced in. That's an option. And I agree, it probably isn't an option most of the time in in situations like that. And they didn't even really want to
1: pass that much. Like, it it compounded the factors. They started to pass more like an average team, and then they wound up in these games where they ran a million plays because they were playing from behind, and they went to overtime a couple times. And it was like, when you compound, them wanting to pass a little more than we thought they would, and then them ending up in the situation where their actual pass rate way outpaces their expected pass rate, all of a sudden you get this double compounding scenario where they get lucky and, and they intentionally want to pass more and
0: fire. Yeah. So it's just like when you're, when you're looking at this, like don't, don't walk into a singular outcome for the team level either. Like we're talking about with, you know, wide receivers, they might get uh, 23, 25 or 27% target share. And there's a range of outcomes for target share. And then at the team level, it's the same thing. Like, they might have 30 pass attempts per game, 32, or 28, maybe if it's a low-passing low, low passing team. Or a mid-range team is going to be 33, 35, 37. Or a high-end team is going to be 38, 40, 42. And you kind of, like, lock your teams into these, like, individual ranges, and then you lock the players into their individual ranges, and you have, like, a matrix, or at least that's how I do it, like hmm. a matrix where I'm looking at, okay, what happens if, we pass a lot and the guy hits his ceiling individually, we get team level ceiling and player level ceiling mixed together. We have, you know, bona fide top five wide receiver candidate. Okay. What happens if we get mid-level team projection and elite level or like 90th percentile outcome player level projection? Okay. Well now we're talking top 12 and then you go to the bottom and you're like, what happens if we get terrible and terrible? Oh, we're still looking at a top 24 wide receiver this and he's priced at wide receiver 18 this is great draft this guy and yeah. it's you know like you just kind of balance the range of outcomes with with a number of uh different scenarios and like obviously we're not going to be right 100% of the time but it's so much a matter of the guy's probably going to be around here this is how i do my dynasty rankings is i i kind of lock the player into like a you know this guy's a 16-ish points per game player and that's based yeah. around you know, once we get the you know, year three data on a wide receiver, they kind of lock into target share, you know, plus or two, uh plus one or two target uh oh, shoot, uh target share percentage points. You know, like they're a 25% player, okay. We might get 24 to 26. He's gonna be somewhere in there, or maybe it's a little bit bigger range if you know the team situation has changed a lot and the guy's now alone on the depth chart or whatever. Now we're going 23 to 27 instead of 24 to 26, whatever. Like you you kinda massage it to uh to the to the narrative, <laughs> hilarious as that is for me yeah, to say out loud for the masses to hear. But you kinda massage it to like what you understand of what's the rest of the team. Like we got oh that's we did the whole projection title, we by got... the way. to that? the narrative. That's our episode title. <laughs> massaging to the narrative. That's that's a great title. But like yeah. like you were saying with uh I forget who it was it, the was it a Carolina where you were like Yeah, yeah the Carolina like, receivers like, where like everybody can have to play a little live. everyone's coming a little better than, than they normally would. Yeah. <laughs> So you kind of the Bryce Young is looking at a fifteen percent throwaway rate. Yeah. So then you and then and then again you always tie it back to what does the ADP say about what this player is going to do, and if your range is right. higher than the ADP range, then you draft the player. If your range Ooh. is lower than the ADP range, then you fade the player. And it's it's just like I I find projections to be both wonderful and and just awful. <laughs> because because i just think people do it wrong and uh i think if you're doing it right then it's really insightful and, and it really helps you understand a better a better perspective of what could happen versus what will happen versus what might happen
1: i agree with that and i will explain how i do it uh I'll, and then we'll then we'll get into a couple of the individual discrepancies i think we've talked about some examples but we'll get into some thoughts where drew how to look through the sheet and um, wanted to talk about some specific spots that he either thinks are interesting or really disagrees with. So the way I do it is pretty much what you mentioned. Um, I start everything at a team level. Every team is a little bit different, but in general, I look at the history of that quarterback, I look at the history of the play caller, and I look at the history of the team. And sometimes the projection is pretty easy because we have the same team and the same play caller and the same quarterback, um, and we have a pretty tight window of what we think they're going to be. And other times it's very different where we have a different play caller, new play caller, new quarterback, different team, et cetera. So I try to blend it together. um, And I kind of just look at the most recent few years for each of those entities. I average them together and then I massage a little bit more to whoever I think is ultimately going to be more responsible for driving this, you know, and that's just entirely vibes based really. It's like, do I think the quarterback owns this pass rate more or the offensive coordinator? And depending (laughs) on the circumstances, it might be either one. Um, And then uh from there I and I, I do that to basically determine their plays per game rate and their pass rate over expectation. And then I look at their Vegas win total and I adjust their pass rate over expectation either up or down based on what I think their game script is going to be to get what I call their adjusted pass rate over expectation, which ultimately is the number that I use to determine their pass rate. And the pass rate gives dropbacks per game. From there I look at their quarterback and okay, how how many of the dropbacks are becoming pass attempts with the rest becoming sacks and scrambles. And then I allocate out the sacks and then the quarterback rush attempts and I further reduce the running back rush attempts. And I add a little bit in for throwaways um, and that reduces the target or the pass attempts to targeted throws. Um, So that's how we get the full thing. And then from there, I go to the player level and it's kind of like what I said before, I kind of allocate out the roles. I allocate out what I think these players would earn in those roles in a vacuum. And then I adjust up or down or spread out based on whether I think those players are frankly capable of those roles. Um, And what I always have at the bottom is an overflow tab. And the overflow is basically the tab of unassigned production. Um, I usually project for most teams, their top three running backs, their top four receivers, their top two tight ends. And I add a little bit for certain teams. Um, Like I think the Rams and Chiefs added an extra receiver, um, some other spots where I added an extra tight end or whatever. but the overflow typically represents the unassigned level for a team like the Eagles overflow is like bare minimum. It's basically just me saying there has to be something left over for a team like the box. Like I have a lot of overflow for Bucks running backs compared to other teams because I'm like, I don't really have any reason to give touches from Rashad white to any of these other running backs in particular, but I don't think that Rashad white actually deserves as many touches as I'm projecting him for. So I'm just going to leave like 40 carries to no one. Um, because I don't really know who to give them to. Like I don't. I'm not am not going to give them to Chase Edmonds. Like well, he doesn't deserve them. But I'm just gonna give them to nobody, uh, basically. And but you'll see. Like there's some teams where there's like like the Panthers are a great example where I have, like a decent amount of targets to nobody. Because um, like someone's gonna take them, but I just don't think it's gonna be these guys. Um, and that's that's where I try to scale out. I'm gonna walk into targets. I'm gonna walk into carries. Like, I, I try to have some level of give and take between, like, are the guys on this depth chart actually capable of earning this? Like, the Panthers are a great example of this, right? I think a lot of people are just like, I'm just going to give all these carries to Miles Sanders. And it's like, when you look at Miles Sanders' career, like, I'm already giving him a career high in carries by, by a bit. But it's like, would it make a rational sense to give him 320 carries? because they called him a three-down back, like, that wouldn't make any rational sense, right? So some of this got to go to Chuba, and then some of this is just kind of to whomever the fuck is, is, is kind of what ends up happening. Like, Rashad White, like, I'm sorry, you play like shit as a rookie, you a third-round pick, I'm not projecting for the carries. It's possible, but you don't get that.
0: Totally, and then, and then, like, with, like, Rashad White, I think that kind of, you know, spells a bit of opportunity for rostering the backups because nobody thinks they're yeah, any good and they're probably not very good, but who cares because they're running backs. And I don't yeah. know if you've been on Twitter lately, but the running backs aren't getting paid because they don't fucking matter. So, like, if Rashad or uh, Rashad White isn't good, then and the backups aren't good, then who the hell cares if none of them are good? Somebody is going to get the football because somebody has to get the football, and this isn't wide receiver where the talent matters. They're just guys running the football. Like, w- would you be pleased Peckin to hear that team. Sean? Hey, would you be? I said, would you be pleased to hear that Sean Tucker got cleared for contact today? I would be pleased to hear that. That would be very pleasing to hear. Yeah, uh, I was. I I swear, in my Scott Fishbowl draft, I was trying to draft him. I can't see him getting taken anywhere. I must. I must have just missed it. I was just scrolling on my phone, but I couldn't find him in the player database. I was like, he must have right. got drafted, and it just wasn't showing up right or something. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. The point is more so that, like, if there's no clear backup, like, these guys are going to be free, like, absolutely right. free. Totally um, And free. just put them on the roster and see what happens. Peyton Barber once got touches
1: in yeah. in, NFL,
0: in two NFL backfields. And, like, that's wild. So it's not unheard of for, like, somebody <laughs> you've never heard of to get the full. Isaiah Pacheco is, like, somebody that nobody had really ever heard of. You like remember Buck Allen? Buck Allen used to get touches. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, is, I don't is know that, why that's the first name to come to mind because there's been so many, but Buck Allen is like one of the names that always comes to mind for me of just like a total non entity who, for like eight weeks, was basically an RB1 because it was just like, like everyone else is not available and we have this Buck guy and we just keep giving him the ball, I guess.
0: <laughs> like, like I don't know Do you remember that Latavius like, Murray was like an every week starter on the stretch of last year because they just yeah. ran out of running backs. Like, they just didn't have running backs. They're like, I guess Latavius. I don't know there's a guy named Peyton Hillis who had like one magical season out of nowhere cover of Madden. He was a cover guy on Madden because he was a Brown and they did a fan vote and the Brown fans are crazy, but that's not the point. The point is that Peyton Hillis was absolutely unheard of. And just like was the guy in the right spot where nobody else was playing and he's a running back and talent doesn't matter. And that's why we don't care about talent at the running back position. It's, well, I certainly care about talent at the running back position. <laughs> but
1: so that's objectionable. But again, like the, the whole idea of like this guy's bad, but he's large enough and he catches passes enough is like a way more exciting idea when it's like Trivion Williams is literally free, when then it's when when then when it's Rashad White and he's like in the seventh round, right? You always want to be the guy where it's like, hey, it, anything could happen. You don't want to be like you look at, you know, the Samaj P line. Uh, now he actually has an opportunity cost, but back in the day, you look at the P line. and It's like, hey, anything could happen. Whereas you look at Rashad White curly, you're like, anything that could happen murders him. Don't let anything happen. Nothing happened. Nothing changed. Nothing changed. Stay, stay. <laughs> like if you if you look, this is a rule of thumb. If you're looking at the projection sheet, when it's available for Discord subscribers too, in the Vault Discord, if you see a team where there's like i just kind of handed out some carries to the RB2, I handed out some carries to the RB3 and there's a bunch more in the overflow and you then look at the points per game and you're like oh 13 points per game for the starter that's pretty darn good it's like that's the most they're going to get right because i'm basically projecting
0: everything to go right and I, any any change i'm not comfortable giving them any more than this <laughs> Right, I will will give the bench carries over this (laughs) motherfucker. It's like
1: it's like like I ever saw White at fourteen points per game. I would bet so hard on the under, but like (laughs) when you do the projection, it's like I I can't really give these carries and targets to any other guy. So I guess I'm kind of giving them to White, but like it's so fragile because because any any sort of externality negatively affects him. He's, He's a super fragile asset. It's the opposite of the Eagle situation, right? Where it's like I. I wish I could give you guys more, but I just can't. But it's like well, any single member of this team gets hurt. Jalen Hurts gets hurt, and the quarterback is scrambling less. Things are better for each of their running Everyone. backs. Everyone, <laughs> they decide that Kenny Gainwell's just not going to play. Okay, this frees up some touches. We can we can distribute some of those to Flip and Penny. AJ Brown or Devonta Smith gets hurt okay, now we might target running backs because we don't have two alpha target hogs eating up over 50% of the targets plus an alpha tight end. Like literally anything that happens in the Eagles offense makes this projection better, which is why I have Swift projected for like five less points per game this year. I would still draft him ahead of Rashad White in redraft.
0: Yeah, of course he would. He's way better. Anyway, I think that was probably... Anything that can happen to DeAndre Swift is a net positive. Anything that can happen to Rashad White is a net negative. (laughs)
1: Now, now, to be fair, also, like, what could happen in that backfield is they're like, DeAndre Swift, we don't want to play you. And that could be a lot better for Rashad Penny and Kenny Gainwell. But I'm yeah. already projecting them to be useless. So that would just make him more useless. But the point being, like, anything that – any any you want to attack spots where when unexpected things happen, players have a lot of reason to benefit from it. You don't want to have things where it's like a Jenga board where you're just praying that nothing else happens. Like, if you're a Rashad White manager, you're like, Man, I really hope Sean Tucker doesn't look too good at practice
0: today. Like you're, <laughs> you're constantly looking over your shoulder. <laughs> oh okay, yeah, I want to talk about uh, round nine dynasty wide receivers. Well, before we
1: talk about round nine dynasty wide receivers, which we're going for to for no about reason, just very nine, shortly,
0: just because it's fun. Well, what we're gonna, hard gonna hard? talk about we're gonna
1: talk about round nine. Um, one of the things about this conversation is we're talking about projections. We're talking about anything that can happen. We're talking about a range of outcomes. What could potentially influence that range of outcomes? I can tell you one thing that's going to influence your range of outcomes. If you go out there and your sack is covered in weeds, your range of outcomes is declining. You are a fragile, fragile asset on the dating market. So I want to make sure that you your are range in your of outcomes is really narrowed. <laughs> it's narrowed. It's narrowed. You can't even see the ceiling through all the hair down there. So if you want to make sure that you're hitting your ceiling, not just in your fantasy leagues, but in all of your endeavors, you are going to want to check out Manscaped. That's right, support for Sweat and Bullets is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. You can join over 8 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped this exclusive offer, which is 20% off free worldwide shipping. I know that we have some worldwide listeners. I know that we have the people who chime into the Discord from Europe, from Asia, from South America. We'll ship it anywhere with the code BPFP for 20% off with Manscaped. Make sure to hit your ceiling out there on the dating field just so you're feeling better if you're playing pickleball. You don't have all that hair sweat action happening. You can have a free range of motion. You got Make sure you head into your pickle? fantasy draft. Head <laughs> into your fantasy draft, nice and nice and air out, ready to attack it. BPFP, 20% off with manscape. Let's talk about round nine wide receivers.
0: All right. <laughs> well done. Well done. Yeah.
1: It's a little funkier oh, yeah. this oh. time because you kept trying to interrupt me to talk about Tyler Lockett.
0: <laughs> okay, so in round nine, we have and I actually I feel like my my tune is changing now uh because DeAndre Hopkins just signed with the Tennessee Titans. He's going at the 901
1: wah, for wah, EDP. Wah, 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 wah. you know when he's gone up in best ball ADP since signing with the Titans? That's how much people fear uncertainty. He went to like the absolute worst landing spot, and people are like, Oh, it's not gonna be unemployed this Thank year. Thank God, God, he's on, he's on his <laughs> draft now.
0: <laughs> it's like, can you imagine where would he have gone if he with the Chiefs? Like, <laughs> did people think he wasn't going to play football this year? It's astounding. Uh, I, yeah. I, I thought he would for sure
1: go down, but people just aren't rational.
0: So, I had him as severely undervalued when he was a free agent. I'm going to change him now to undervalued rather than severely undervalued because he ended up with the Titans. And, like we just talked about, when you do the range of outcomes on the Titans, they're a Notoriously low volume team. They've—I don't think they've exceeded thirty-two pass attempts in my lifetime. I could be wrong, but it's—it's it's actually probable at this point. <laughs> and uh, even if we think Hopkins is like a super stud, which I think he still is, or me- maybe not like prime Hopkins, but he, like he's still probably a, a top ten wide receiver in the world. When you factor in that super low pass attempt game, it's really hard to paint an elite ceiling for him. I think he's still got wide receiver one well within his range. Of, no, sorry, not wide receiver one overall, like a top 12 wide receiver well within his range of outcomes. I think his floor is still a wide receiver 24, but I just don't see any path to the wide receiver one with the Titans. So I'm, I'm bumping him down a bit. And then the other guy going in round nine is Keenan Allen. And I think I might actually bump him up to severely undervalued where I only have him as undervalued right now. And the reason it. for that is he's also outscore still. Him. What's that? No, for Hopkins. What? If he should project outscore Hopkins this year? Oh yeah, I think he. I think he should project outscore Hopkins this year, and like I think there's a chance that he is exceptional. Maybe not like wide receiver one overall because that's pretty hard to do for a guy like him. But I think he's well like top five is is perfectly plausible. So one you- interesting thing
1: with both these guys is that it really does bring up the the validity of the cliff theory. Um, this is going to be an off season research project for me, basically inspired by these two players. Um, and it'll be honestly, it'll be a research project regardless of how their seasons turn out. But for those that aren't familiar, the cliff theory uh, is Adam Harstad's uh, theory in what is still, in my opinion, the best fantasy football Article ever written, which was you're probably thinking about aging wrong. And everyone who's ever heard me on a podcast has already heard me give the long version. So I'll just give the short version. But basically, the TLDR is players don't actually gradually age. Players are what they are, and they are what they are until they're nothing at all, essentially. This is really elite players we're talking about. Um, And the only reason why it looks like an aging slope is because each of these players hit the cliff at staggered different times in their career. So when you aggregate them, it looks like a cliff where Group of 28 wide receivers is better than 29, better than 30, better than 31, but actual individual receivers are just flat and then drop off. Um, Hopkins and Allen are interesting and in they both are well past the age apex and well into the cliff potential zone. But well, Hopkins is a little bit interesting because Hopkins was humming along basically at the, more or less the same rate every year. at a pretty substantial drop off in 2021. Uh, but then really rebounded in 2022, where all of a sudden his target share, targets for outrun, his fantasy peripherals are all basically on par with what he had been through to 2020. Keenan Allen has basically been the same guy his entire career, except for I think he had like one injury riddled year really early. But when he's been healthy, he's basically been the same guy every single year for fantasy plus or minus the variance. Interesting thing with both of them. Is that there are some signs of potential qualitative decline that aren't showing up in the quantitative data? Keenan Allen saw his reception perception fall off drastically this year, especially on down the field routes. He was really focused on intermediate route share. Although, interestingly, with Keenan Allen actually upped his efficiency. This was a kind of a concern the last couple of years that people had brought up with Keenan Allen saying, well, he's still throwing with volume bet, but his yards per target, his yards per route run have really fallen down each of the last couple of years. He might not have the juice anymore. His yards per route run comes way up, really rebounds in 2022. Looking across the Isle of Hopkins, basically all of his qualitative metrics are down. Not down as in bad, but uh, and certainly not down bad, but uh, they are they are down. His reception perception paints him as a very good receiver, no longer as an elite receiver. PFF grade had lowered uh, versus comparative years, and it was two years running that it was a lot lower than his 2020 and prior. Yards per target was down. Yards per route run was, was higher than in 2021 but it was the second lowest since the Osweiler year. And you can definitely make a case, I think compounded by the fact that both he was willing to be paid in free agency, was two years, 26 million, and no team was willing to trade for him on his current contract with Arizona, that he's not really viewed as that elite game-breaking talent anymore, and that he's viewed as more as a really good starting wide receiver. And this plays into something that I've talked about for a while at running back. I didn't really think it was a thing at wide receiver, but I'm curious. And it's my canary theory of aging which is the idea that players get, unless they're ended by injury, what I call a
0: canary season.
1: Are you familiar with the canary in
0: the coal mine? I'm familiar with the canary in the coal mine, yes.
1: Right, so the idea for people who are unaware is that go into a coal mine, you bring a canary down with you. The canary, if it gets toxic, is gonna to die before you do. So then you know that there's toxins in the area and you're able to evacuate the coal mine. And my theory that I felt running back for a while I haven't really ever tested a receiver, but it's the idea that you get a year of qualitative decline that precedes your quantitative decline in the sense that your coaches don't really know that you've declined yet. The defense don't really know that you've declined yet. And so you're still putting up vaguely similar stat lines, despite not being quite as good. And that sometimes we can get evidence from this canary year to then sell out before the cliff here happens the next year. Um, I think it's, I've always thought it was more intuitive at running back, and we've seen, I think, more examples of this occur at running back. I don't know if it's as intuitive at wide receiver, but I am curious if it worries you at all that Hopkins and Keenan might be showing some signs of decline. In Hopkins' case, pretty universally; In Keenan's case, in some ways, he really is, some ways, he's really not. Or if you think it's price in, or if you think that this isn't a thing at all.
0: Yeah, I think I would be very, very concerned if they were not available in the ninth round of startup drafts. I think uh, I think it's totally plausible that Hopkins has lost a step and Keenan has lost a step. I think that, you know, I don't know I don't do injury analysis or research, but I like intuitively it would make sense to me that players become more fragile as they get older. We basically seen Hopkins be healthy for like nine consecutive years and then get hurt two years in a row. Um he like he wasn't hurt a lot last year, as far as I know. But he did get hurt in the final game of the, his final game of the season. Missed the last game of the season. Played injured in the last. And he missed the
1: first six games with the suspension.
0: Yeah, but that was like a suspension. He wasn't like hurt.
1: Right, but I'm just saying it's not like he made it through those six games healthy. He just didn't play in them.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Right. and then yeah, so like I think it's totally plausible that both guys just fall completely off the cliff this year. But in round nine, I don't care. Like, we're talking about... No, I'm with you. The, so, Hopkins is at 901. Keenan Allen is at 903. Guess the guy he at is Guess the guy where? 902. 902. The guy between them. I think it's Brock Purdy. It's not. It's Devin A. Chain. <laughs> okay. Like, like, we're talking about DeAndre Hopkins' potential wide receiver one season or Devin A. Chain are your selection. Oh, I,
1: oh, I quite like... I must be looking at an outdated sheet of data because it is pretty. Ah, uh, for me, but anyway, um, same difference. Uh, I mean, look, I'm gonna change Sam, so I take some level of issue with this, but I, I
0: agree. I'd rather have Hopkins than Keenan. And like, and, and not close. Like, it's like light years apart. Yeah, Keenan is
1: especially interesting. So I disagree with you a little. Well, I don't disagree with you in the macro sense on Hopkins, and that I am absolutely buying DeAndre Hopkins in the ninth round. I have cooled on Hopkins though since the Titans because I, I do feel like Hopkins, like I can I see a pretty wide range of outcomes on his current talent level. Like on one hand, he's coming off another near 30% or 30% target share season, basically in line with every year of his career, except for like his rookie year in 2021. Um, I think it's totally possible that he can go to a place and just alpha out a 29-30% target share again. I think that the there are also reasons for concern, like I just mentioned. Um, I think the biggest reason for concern is honestly that NFL teams like clearly don't value him as a superstar wide receiver anymore. Like if they thought that he was Cooper Cot, then a team would have paid the Arizona Cardinals a fifth round pick for the privilege of taking on that contract. Like they would, he never would have been cut. So clearly NFL teams don't think he's, he's absolutely elite anymore. Um, but I do think he has that upside. My concern is what is his upside now on the Titans? So I have not projected at a at 13.7 points per game, which seems kind of heinous when we're talking about DeAndre Hopkins. But the biggest reason for that is, is that the Titans don't project to pass a whole lot, and I still do have three Will lattice games. If you say, okay, Brian Daniels playing all 17 games, that's my first assumption to make. That sounds pretty plausible. I bet that would probably get him up to 14.5 or 14.7, something like that. You still then probably need him to run hot. I don't know that he's shown that many signs recently of being like a super efficient player. I don't think he's going to be a guy who's going to be going for a lot of ADR touchdowns. I don't think he's um, ever been
0: a super efficient player,
1: which is kind of funny about. No, he hasn't, but that's what I'm saying. Like, so his path to getting like, hitting yeah, like, that's not an option. <laughs> right. Like his path to ceilings is like, he can run a little haul on touchdowns and then he just has to get through the rest on volume. Like he's, he's never going to have like the Jalen Waddle season we just had, yeah. where it's like he starts breaking screens, ADRs to the house. Like that's not happening. Yeah. So it becomes pretty narrow and it becomes especially narrow on the Titans. You know, okay, sure. You want to say, all right, I don't, I'm not going to bake in any of these regression concerns. I'm not going to give him a 26% target share. I'm going to give him a 29% target share. All right. right. I mean, I think that's like a very plausible target share. I don't think that's his single most likely outcome, but it wouldn't surprise me in any way. If that's what he had this year, I haven't done the math on it, but like, I still think you're probably getting to only 15 and a half, 16 points per game, which is good. It's like a low end wide receiver, one probably. But I guess my issue is dynasty in the ninth round, very interested. Best ball in the fourth round, I'm like, I got to pay fourth round. And I got to hope that a really old guy stays healthy and is actually still elite so that I can get like 15 and a half points per game. And I got to hope that they keep playing their quarterback all year instead of going over to like the worst rookie I've ever seen. Like, that just seems like I'm taking on like a lot of situational and player fragility. for for like not a massive win. So to me, I would just rather take guys that I think I have less fragility, even if I think that their actual individual player ceiling is lower in that spot. But I do think a dynasty is more worth it. Keenan Allen, I mean, I'm willing to bet on that because I don't even know how good he has to be. The LA Chargers have been a super high pass rate team in Herbert's career, and they've played at a really high pace. And then Kellen Moore has never ran less than 55 plays per game as offensive coordinator, which is a really high number. Like, it's it's pretty easy to project that team for 67, 68 plays per game. And when you combine most plays per game in the league with probably a top three pass rate over expectation, like, what do I have them projected as for dropbacks? It's, it's probably an absurd number. Um, I have them projected to drop back to pass 44.8 times per game. And that results in 40.4 pass attempts per game. And the pie is so big on the Chargers that another guy thinks think is a great dynasty buy. I have Mike Williams for an entirely pedestrian 19.2% target share. This is a ridiculously and bad dynasty buy to the listeners. It's do a not great do dynasty buy. Under so no it's, circumstances. It's, it, he is the yet. cheapest 15 points. Mike Williams, for the haters and the losers, of which there are so many, if you exclude games that he left, before playing even 50% of snaps. He's been 15 points per game for two years straight. And he's in this great situation. He's younger than Keenan Allen. I would absolutely buy Mike Williams and I would buy Keenan Allen. Point being, 19.2% of the targets. That's like super mediocre. Like that's that's like a Zay Jones level target share from last year. I still have him at 14.2 points per game. It's, it's life is good for the LA Chargers. I have Keenan Allen projected, uh, I think, in my top 10 wide receivers. I wouldn't draft him in my top 10 wide receivers, to be clear. You don't have to. But he's, in, but he's an interesting spot where, A, you don't have to. B, you're getting a ton of projectable volume. And it's fragile because he's old. But there is some contingent upside there. Like the market's faking in Quentin Johnston being a much better third receiver option than Josh Palmer. That's probably the case. But Quentin Johnson's a rookie with some really five so. profile. No, but let's I mean let's just be real about it. Like, okay, you like Quentin Johnson more than I like Quentin Johnson. But yeah, point he's, really being, he's point being like he's a rookie. It's not inconceivable that he just sucks. Like we're, we're projecting a, a lot on him, his floor is not high. He's exactly. But that's contingent upside. Like, what if Quentin Johnson's actually just a – what if he's slow Rashad Perriman? If you consider that he's slow Rashad
0: Perriman, I don't know if anyone's made that comp before. Are you Are you concerned that Quentin Johnson is simply Jamar Chase? And you're going to pass concern. on Jamar Chase, <laughs> catching passes from Justin Herbert, and the highest passing volume offense in the world.
1: Right. So we talked about it. Mike Williams, he gets injured all the time. Mike Williams, the, what does he do? He, he throws himself into the air and lands on his shoulder all the time. So, like, you know. Yeah. It, if you start getting injuries to Williams or if Johnston gets hurt or, or he's just disappointing, like, you know, there's a potential where Keenan Allen could get 26, 27% of the targets. And
0: it I really mean, does, 26, though, means-
1: uh, yeah, it's, it's possible. What's what was his, uh, target share at, uh, um, like yeah, I want to say, I, I was going to say 26, but I, I don't want to just like speak out of my ass. Um, I want to actually have it in front of me. I'd yeah, last that. year, last year, oh, last no, last year he was twenty two point five, but he also left some games early. His, oh, his, like, target target, his target rate was twenty
0: seven.
1: His target rate twenty seven. You're never going to have a target rate as high as your target because you're never going to run literally one hundred percent of the routes. But it's it, it could be yeah. Like if you look at his previous year, he was twenty six point seven percent target rate, twenty five percent target share. Year before that, he was twenty seven percent target share, twenty six the year before mm-hmm. that. Like if he. Like if if he's in that twenty five to twenty seven range, or even if guys got hurt and he gets in the twenty eight range, I mean, there's so many targets available. Like, the, I have six hundred and sixty five targeted throws, so you can do the math on that yourself. You get a twenty, you get a twenty five percent of target share on that. That's almost that's pushing one hundred and seventy targets.
0: I think you're making an excellent excellent case to be buying Quinton Johnston in all leagues, all formats. Just lean in to the rookie variants on a high-caliber rookie and just, just let it ride. We're talking about the highest passing volume offense in the history of the world happening in 2023. It's going to be great.
1: Out of curiosity, would you care to guess who I have projected as the third highest
0: pass volume team in the league? Oh, well, let me think. Uh, I'm going to go with – I feel like it's going to be surprised now that you I'll said
1: say that. That's, I'll say that it's not that surprising. It's not like oh. a pretty hot take. But I don't, think it's as, I don't think it's quite as intuitive as you'd think. First is L.A. The second is very obvious. It's the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, but the third is, a, is slightly less obvious. And it, it relates to what we were talking about with Quinton johnston It's actually tied for third. I have two at the exact same amount of pass premium. for you. One of them is really obvious. I don't know. Who is it? Well, one, of them, one of them is the Bengals. Buffalo. It's pretty obvious. No, they don't actually pass quite as much as you think because Allen converts a decent chunk of drawbacks uh, to pass. Cincinnati. Attempts. I think I have them in the top ten. Yeah, Cincinnati is one of them. Cincinnati is the obvious one. But the other one is the actual wide receiver, two in the class. The Minnesota Vikings. Did you know that Adam Thielen ran the second most route in the entire NFL last year? But you didn't. Now you do. Uh, the, the Viking. How high
0: were they last year? How many pass attempts did they have last year? Super high. Like, they were um, – I knew they were high, but I didn't think they were, like, third in the league high. I think mean, they might have been. I thought they were, like, maybe, like – They eight. were – yeah, they were third in the league last year. Holy you – know, Tampa was one.
1: Ta- Tampa was number one, and that's not happening again. Um, Chargers were two. Minnesota was three. And you know, part, mean, part of the Minnesota thing was, like, a little bit goofy like they weren't actually that high pass rate over expectation, a decent portion of it was like, they were kind of these crazy shootouts, but they're always gonna be higher pass rate than pass rate over expectation because Cousins doesn't scramble, right? So you're, you're gonna, so every time, like a lot of this that people forget is the conversion of dropbacks to passes, right? Josh Allen has a lower conversion of dropbacks to passes. So even though the bills always have really high PROE, the actual passes aren't that as high because he's scrambling.
0: Gotcha.
1: That's not a Cousins issue. You also have their defense is bad, so I project that they're probably going to like they're probably going to be like an eight nine win team. Their Vegas overruns eight and a half, so you're not going to get a reduction to their passer of expectation. And I think might not want to run the ball with Mister Alexander Madison because I think he's ass. I don't know,
0: I don't know how like I didn't bring Alexander
1: him up. And, <laughs> no, i I do not like Alexander.
0: I thought you're always out in the streets being like, oh yeah, uh, Dalvin Cook's out. Alexander Madison's the guy. Oh yeah. Uh, well,
1: yes, I like that when he got to fill in as a zero RB guy. But do you don't, know, you have no idea how many fights I've had in my life of people being like, "Why well, do you like Tony Pollard so much?" He's just Alexander Madison, and I'm like, "Have you looked at the numbers?" I, I like, I like have like a borderline irrational hatred of Alexander Madison. Um, <laughs> I don't know why That's I kept banging wrong. on Rashad White over and over again. I should have picked on Alexander Madison a little bit. Point, point being, I, I think that they actually have like, they passed a ton last year. They're probably going to win less games. And then they they went and spent a first round pick on a receiver instead of Dustball Adam Thielen. So their pass rate looks really favorable. And Jordan Addison's better than Quentin Johnston. And he's faster because he he runs 140 miles per hour, and he's a dog lover. So I don't know how you can debate that.
0: <laughs> I think that what you simply need to
1: know is like that people say that Quentin Johnston has that dog in him. But can you have more dog in you than? racing 140 miles per hour in a Lamborghini to save your dog. That is having dog in you.
0: I don't know that he had dog in him, but he certainly had dog in his car. I presume was the dog with him, or was no, he going to get the, it
1: and then save it? it it's, it's unclear. I mean, first of all, it's pretty clear that he didn't have a dog emergency. And he was street racing, but in the unlikely event
0: that the story was true, it's, it's not, it's, it's not, it's currently unclear whether he had the dog it's in his car. It's certainly possible that there was a dog emergency. I've had it's dog true. emergencies. Did you drive 140 miles per hour? I did not, but only because I didn't have a Lamborghini. That was the only thing holding me back. Also, like, this is my favorite bit thing about the dog bit It's, like, people immediately were like, well,
1: I get it now. Like, it's probably worse <laughs> if he was driving 140 miles per hour with a
0: dog in the car. That's actually not like a great dog owner move. Like, that's like a how you kill your dog move. <laughs> okay, but like, let's be honest, are you actually, like, aside from the excellent, um, Jordan Addison off-field shenanigans, uh, very dangerous. Yeah, by I, the way, not driving. Very me. consistent about this. I cl- I quite clearly prefer Jordan Addison to Quentin Johnston, Yeah. So like you're looking, just to be clear, because I want the the audience to understand. Redraft, specific- dynasty, best ball, you name a format. Addison greater than sign Johnston. I just I I'm just questioning to make sure, like checking for understanding, simply because. When I look at their draft picks, I saw that Jordan Addison was at the 1.23 and Quinn Johnson was at the 1.21. And Ergo. True. Oh, there's flowers by Addison too. Yeah, it's Addison's crazy. terrible. So, <laughs> what we're trying to determine is how can you possibly have Addison low or higher when he is in fact mm. drafted not one, but two picks later? It's a Bulls
1: take. It's a Bulls dance. Sure.
0: And furthermore, we have Jordan Addison with Justin Jefferson for probably the rest of his life. We yeah. have Jordan Addison with a Kirk Cousins on an expiring contract. Or we have Quinton Johnson, who is drafted two picks sooner, is better in every single way, and also really has ways. 30-year-old Keenan Allen and can't land on his feet. Mike Williams in his – and Mike Williams is old too. Isn't he like 28 now, 29? Who is Mike Williams? 28? 28. So we have two old, fragile wide receivers and the best young, high-volume quarterback in the world, not named Patrick Mahomes, and you're taking Jordan Addison. I thought you were a ceiling chaser. I thought you, like, walked into a house and were like, where are the vaulted ceilings? I am not taking Jordan Addison. I will take Quinn Johnson. I like vaulted ceilings.
1: Um, Has anyone ever gone from older than you think to younger than you think, faster than Mike Williams? Like, Mike Williams is always an older than you think rookie because it was like he's been in college forever. But now I think people think he's 32. (laughs) I think he's
0: 28 and fragile. (laughs) That's correct, yeah. And Um, he's like Gabriel Davis, but, like, good at it. Oh, okay.
1: No. Find a stat that that shows that these two are similar. They're not similar. Do they not both catch a whole bunch of downfield passes? Yeah, there's well actually no mike williams used that 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 is like maybe gabriel davis will will do the mike williams heel turn in year five or whatever it was but mike williams very much changed like his if you look at his 2020 and prior he was living in the 15 to 18 adot range last two years 10.7 12 adot and that's that's a reasonable range and with that naturally his his
0: target rate has come up not up to like Wow, levels and but, with that, naturally, he's at a Gabriel Davis target share at a reasonable a yeah, dot. This he's is he's worse than early. If you, okay, if I put out Mike Williams, his target, really he's down. leaving games, or his target rate's 20%. It's
1: it, yeah, that's fine. He's fine. It's 20.9%. He's fine. That's it's fine. He's a fine receiver. No, he's a guy in an
0: offense. <laughs>
1: If, if you think that Mike Williams is the guy in an offense, then you have to say that T. Higgins is the guy in an offense because they, their stats are almost identical. Their yards per run are next to each other. The target rate is a, like a one percentage point difference. The target share is the almost the exact yeah, same. Yeah, but T. Higgins' their is yard good. share is the exact That's same. That's the difference. Oh, because he's good because he saying he's good because their stats. Are yeah, the same.
0: no, it's just like whenever people tell me that a player has a good ceiling, and then I I say why, and they say. Because I said so. That's what I just yeah. did.
1: So the thing about T. Higgins and Michael Williams, they score the same amount of points and they have the same peripherals and they play in a similar role and they play in a similar offense. But so one's good and one's bad. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad glad you're catching out. up. Okay. Let me sort of that out. Um, speaking of players of a questionable skill, well, Quinn Johnston, uh, I think we kind of went through a lot of this over the rookies episode. So I don't need to go into the dig deep thing. I will just sum up that my stance from the prospect profiles is that Quinn Johnson is a high variance prospect with some really intriguing aspects and some really questionable aspects. And Jordan Addison is a very clean prospect with, I wouldn't say the highest ceiling profile in the world, but he has basically no question marks other than his apparently uh, criminal behavior, but at least based on the on field of production, very clean profile. So I like Jordan Addison more pre-draft. And then that wasn't that crazy of a take. And then post-draft, there was this weird phenomenon where ADP had Addison higher and both in Redraft and in Dynasty, and most people like Addison more, but in the Bulletproof Discord, people are like, are you out of your mind? You have Addison Hire, Johnston, Slobbershot, Um, And yeah, the idea. The basic take on it is that I want my wide receivers to do the job that a wide receiver is supposed to do, which is to accrue value and then let me trade you for something else. And so to me, the idea of chasing the ceiling is probably not rostering Quentin Johnston or Jordan Addison. It might be, but I don't think that's the most likely scenario for either of them. The ceiling is probably, well, them to have a really nice rookie year and then shipping them off in a deal for an elite receiver or a tight end or a running back or ideally a quarterback. And I have more confidence in Jordan Addison to do that because I have more confidence in the floor of the profile. So I'm buying the floor to trade for the ceiling. I also think Jordan Addison's going to score more points this year. He, I mean, one thing... It's not like a long-term concern for Quentin Johnson, if he's good, but Jordan Addison's going to run all the routes. Like he's competing for routes with KJ Osborne, which is, that's not really competing with anybody. Mike Williams and Keenan Allen aren't coming off the field if they're both healthy. So
0: in dynasty, you know, we don't Johnson care if
1: he rolls in. If Johnson we care a little bit. We care a little bit. If a better prospect scores more points than the other guy this year, that, that matters. I mean, the, the main point of it is I think that, yeah, if, if both of these guys.
0: Okay, are, wait, wait, let's back up a second. How is Jordan Addison a better prospect again?
1: He has way less red flags in his profiles. Production profile is stronger. Has a higher peak production. Is level is Year two, because it's more of it.
0: Hmm? Quinton Johnson out oh, for Produce produced more. Jordan no, Addison two or three years.
1: Yes, and his peak production was way lower, and his and his production in year two is way lower. The peak production level of Jordan Addison is significantly higher than Quinton Johnson, who stayed at the absolute bare minimum threshold every year. Did it on slants. Did it on nine reps, Did it on screens. Is a limited player. He did a great job. He did an okay job.
0: Did a great job. He
1: relied a ton on contested targets and had a really low contested catch rate. So he constantly was not open. And then he wasn't very good at catching contested passes, but he was really good at taking drag routes to the house. I I don't like, I mean that pejoratively because I I want to speak pejoratively about him, but that is his upside. Like, his yak ability is ungodly, but his profile is not consistent. Like, he has a lot of weaknesses. His ability to consistently separate is very sketchy. His ability to win catches in contested situations is very sketchy. His peak production is severely lacking. What's twenty eight percent? That's severely lacking. If you 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 could. There are plenty of analysts who base their models off a 30% breakout threshold, in which he would literally never break out. The difference between how you set your thresholds on Quinton Johnson could be so drastic that you're either saying he broke out every year or he never broke out at all because he just lives at the minimum threshold because he's a limited player who only does a few things well currently. He might learn to do all the things well eventually. But this is like George Pickens, not stylistically, but this is like George Pickens 2.0, where you get this player who has a high variance range of outcomes, and it's interesting, and he might hit. George Pickens still might hit. But it would be much more surprising if Jordan Addison failed than if Quentin Johnson failed.
0: And when I'm talking about rookie wide receivers, I want to avoid failure. That is such a coward's way to play. I want to get the good player in the good offense
1: that doesn't have I, Justin I have a good player in a good offense.
0: That's fine, Just.
1: Jordan Addison hits the ceiling, he can still have a 27% target share next to Justin Jefferson. We just saw Devonta
0: Smith do this. He didn't have a 27% target share next to A.J. Brown. He had 24%. He sure did. He sure did have a 27% target share. What? Actually, I thought they were 29 and 24. 27.0%. Hmm. Hmm. Fascinating. Well, then I guess the only thing left to do is... Drop. You know be better than a
1: 27% target share on the Eagles, by the way? 27% target share not on the Eagles.
0: Yeah, like the one that Quinn Johnson's going to have. Like on the Vikings. For the damn charters.
1: I fully agree that at a certain level of ability, the landing spot makes a really big difference. i, I always I use like DK Metcalf and T. Higgins as an example. of guys where I think like, they are clearly good enough to hit anywhere, but the extent of the hit is situationally reliant. Like if, if, if Jordan Addison is, let's say he's Devonta Smith. I think Devonta Smith's a little better than these guys, but
0: Is, is the target share on player profiler for Devonta Smith correct? Well, I, 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 How's I the, the target know, share higher than the I, target rate? Oh, because he runs every route. He ran 91% of the routes, and he got a higher target share than Tiger rate.
1: There's, like, a – well, he has 97% route participation.
0: Oh, I'm looking at snaps. Sorry.
1: There's, like, wait, an wait. element of of where, like, it's, like, targeted. Not every route becomes a targeted throw. So, I, I'm I not going to – I don't know. If, if the stats that are on player profile are wrong, then, by all means, I'm, I'm just reading the stats as they are. So, I, I so, can't be accounted for – So, sure you got it wrong. Noted. Well, I don't think that they are wrong. I Think that he had a 42% target
0: share. You're probably right. There's a um, chance,
1: but if they're if they're if they're wrong, the stats are wrong. It's me I'm just saying. I was just saying it off the top of my head. It's 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 there on a site, um, and everything that you see on the internet is true. I don't know if you've heard that, but there's nothing ever wrong on the internet. Um, anyway, what was I saying? There is a certain talent threshold where I think that the Atlantic spot can matter a lot probably isn't year one, probably a year two, year three, year four situation, but let's say Quinn Johnson is a DK Metcalf-level talent, and Jordan Addison's a Tyler Lockett-level talent. Johnston being on the Chargers long term with Herbert, and not with Justin Jefferson, definitely matters in that scenario, where he could be the 14th best receiver in the league and finishes the wide receiver five, and Addison would probably finish as the wide receiver 14. That's, I totally concede that, but if if these guys suck it doesn't matter what the landing spot is hello every chiefs wide receiver if these guys are just like good like as in like good starting nfl players but not but it doesn't matter that much then it's a pretty minimal gap like if quentin johnson's like mike williams talent level it's like okay it's better that you're on the chargers but you're not like a difference making dynasty asset anyway and if these guys are actually like elite elite like justin jefferson elite then it, then it really doesn't matter where you are anyway, or, or it doesn't matter that much. So it's a pretty narrow window to me where I'm like, this landing spot's going to make a difference. If it was a true tie, like I, I had, I, I put in my thing, pre-draft, I had Zay Flowers three, Quinn Johnson four, and I said, I will flip them if Johnson has a better landing spot. And he got a better landing spot and I flipped them. But I, I don't, to me, Addison, Johnson, it's, it's not a massive gap and it shrunk after the draft, but it's a more, it's a legitimate enough gap But I don't think that the landing spot should close. I I think that Addison has less red flags in his profile. His production is higher at its peak overall, and it's done in a more consistent way. It's not based off of as many gimmicky routes. He doesn't have issues getting open. He doesn't have issues with contested catches. He's able to get open and play like a normal receiver, not like a little gimmicky piece. Mm. It It wouldn't shock me if Johnson hits. I'm not like I'm not Matt Kelly. I'm not going out like guaranteeing a bust.
0: Well, absolutely. It wouldn't shock you if he hits because he's awesome. So wow, that would that's make a sense. much. Have have you considered
1: that he's just Josh Dachson?
0: <laughs> you know, that is not something I had considered. That is something I will consider from now on. Do you want to address a lot of them in best ball? I want to I want to tell you every single bulletproof wide receiver that did not have a 30 uh 30% breakout age. Okay. Right? Let's hear it. Jeremy Macklin. Eh. Stud. Eh. Top 12 season, bunch of top 24s. Randall Cobb, my dude. Man, that's a one-hit wonder. Like Murray Head. Two top 24s, one top 12. T. Higgins, Hollywood Brown, and Aurelius Ben.
1: Okay, so that sounds like Aurelius Ben. sounds like... I don't know superstars on that list.
0: It's a four-player, li- five-player list. How many superstars are there in the whole world?
1: Well, I can. I would hope more than zero. <laughs> how many? How many total bulletproof wide receivers are there?
0: Um, I don't know, thirty or forty, maybe. Let me check. Let me get back to you. One okay. more point. So
1: it's, it's, like, it's like concerned when we're talking about this small of a subset of the bulletproof wide receivers. And it's not like that subset is like over 6'3 and under, it's like, like 40. It's a lot. 40 ish. Okay. So, so it's it's 15%, right? That's the. We're talking, about, only, we're talking about 85% of the bulletproof class hit a 30% breakout age. But your boy QJ is in the not so productive group with a really Ben. I don't think he's a one-for-one one cop to really Ben to me. A really Ben.
0: <laughs> Come on.
1: Any other, um, any other, any other points of emphasis? We talked about Hopkins. We talked about Keenan. We talked about the Chargers. We talked about the Vikings.
0: I got nothing. Oh, uh, we should quickly talk about. Uh, no, I do. I do have something. Um, Sky Skymore yeah. Oh yeah, let's
1: talk about Skymore. So and,
0: and the whole Chiefs extravaganza. Yeah, so we talked about the Chiefs a lot on our last show. Since we did. Dan Kidarius Tony literally couldn't All make a practice. Because he's so
1: committed to the bit. Uh, so has, has anyone ever been more committed to the bit than Kidarius Tony? I mean, I, one practice, shaking the a plan. Man. Come on, dude. Like, just...
0: It's not even, uh, not even like, oh, wide receiver
1: drills. Like, oh, brutal. It's just so frustrating. Uh, anyway. I hate this guy. Um, So Moore, yeah, I mean, pretty his chances of being out there for 70, 80% of the routes in week one, looking pretty good. Like at this point, it's the the players who took the majority of the first team reps today were apparently Sky Moore, MVS and Justin Lawson. So I, I guess the fear would be that the only way that Sky gets totally out of the mix by week one, assuming Tony is not clear to play. Is Richie James beats him out for the slot role and Rasheed Rice earns the spot. And I guess he would take the Justin Watson spot and then Sky gets left out in the cold. But if you're Sky, like the, the probably the two players that you fear most from the talent upside perspective are Tony and Rice. He's clearly ahead of Rice currently and Tony's not going to play. So it's like, unless they're going to play, you know, I don't think I can't see them coming out there and just being like, yeah, we're playing MVS. Justin Watson and Richie James and just admitting defeat on all of our young players. That seems unlikely. So there's now a path where previously there wasn't really a path for sky and rice to both play um, on every route, but there is now like if rice is good in camp, that doesn't actually doom sky anymore. They could both be out there with MDS. So pretty exciting. I think it's likely he's going to play 70% of the routes week one, and we'll see what he can do, man. I mean, I don't know. He could Brian Edwards it up. Brian Edwards was an every down player start his second season. So is Jalen Rager. Didn't, didn't do much with it but um, he was there too yeah i mean that's that's what happens to a lot of these face planters is they have a really good camp they get the starting role and then they remind everyone why they face planted and then they don't get the starting role for very long after that but uh if you're a sky believer the, the interesting thing is i think we're gonna get a pretty fat and tempting cell window and i'm curious how you're planning to play it
0: well, I really think it's going to depend on how fat that cell window gets because I think, like I, I, I've been racking my brain and I cannot think of a single face planner that I have ever said going by. I'm pretty sure sky's the first, which is saying a lot. Okay, sky so, more or a 2024 20, second that you think will be early. I think he got it with the second there. He's happy.
1: Okay. So like right right now, you're going to get that. Right now, I assure you. I assure you that if you would like to liquidate all of your Skymores for early 2024 20, seconds by the end of the preseason, I, I think it's very likely you'll be able to do that.
0: Yeah. So people then- are. I think the
1: dynasty market is a slight lagging indicator. Like the best ball market is frothy for Skymore. He opened at, in the late 120s in ADP prior to the Tony news. He had already climbed up to pick 99. So he had risen three full rounds in ADP since launch. This Tony news is going to, like, is gonna uh, make him rocket ship. Like, I think he's gonna be an early seventh round pick, uh, yes. in short order. And well, that's
0: you're gonna get your chance. We're cash no. let's go. Thank you, Patrick Mahomes. Oh, see, this is the thing. Like, I know that that's the right move.
1: I kind of want to have fun with it, man. I just kind of want to yeah, I don't know. Like, if, if sky hits and I have none after the punishment I took all year. And then all I do is I get out for an early second, and then he smashes. I, I'm just gonna be so miserable. Like I think I would be happier having him die on my teams, like from a human emotion standpoint, and
0: getting nothing than than sitting out and watching it. I would just be so sad. See, I I would just like I'm just very robotic with things like this. I don't care at all. I'm like, hey, look at this. This guy's now worth more than I think he is. Perfect. We'll we'll cash out and and we might lose, but. Typically, we win, so we're just going to fall back on, you know, trust the process and uh, and move on. But,
1: but have you considered that he is fulfilling the prophecy
0: of being a one-for-one comp at Devontae Adams? I have considered that. I've also considered that I could probably just, you know, add a second to Sky Moore if that's the case and get Quentin Johnston, who was a first-round pick, two picks ahead of Jordan Addison. That's two picks better than Jordan Addison. And... That would be pretty fun to me. So yeah, I'll yeah. do that.
1: Yeah, I would do that for sure. I'm, I'm really regretting not hammering sky and all my off-season startups. Like I still have a decent amount from last season and I didn't sell that much of it, um, but I wish that I had hammered them in all my off-season startups. I didn't, I was weaning myself off at the guy more methadone clinic. Um, uh, I have been drafting him a ton in best ball. At one point, I he was like my most drafted player, and then his ADP has really shot up. So uh, I, yeah, I just a think gas pedal, but
0: like given the fact everyone is terrible and he's probably or at least was a good prospect, and then also is like getting a lot of hype and playing with the starters, etc. I'm just like I'm glad we've been buying. <laughs> And then, like like you said, if if, it, if his price is going to get up to early second, I'm going to cash out. And if I can't find anyone once he gets to uh, late first, I'm cashing out again. And like I would give, I don't think he'll get to first unless he actually performs. I think I think people will
1: be willing to trade early seconds on preseason hype. I don't think people will be able to justify first. Like, okay, you might get some crackpots and like some home leagues will so be like, I don't
0: give a shit. Twenty twenty six
1: is forever, and they'll like get your 2026 first from some goof. But I think, like, serious people not be trading your first. But I think serious people be like, yeah, sure, I'll do a second. It's like, what's the worst? I'd burn a second. Uh, I, I can see like it happen.
0: If I don't sell him for my seconds and 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 then he's, like, playing well, like, maybe not, like, 16, 17 points per game, but, like, playing well, I, I feel like I'd still sell him for a first. Like, what's we
1: yeah, like, I mean, that's, that's the thing. I, I I mean, I think it's really unlikely that he would get to the point where I wouldn't sell him for a first. I mean, how many wide receivers total would you not sell for a base first right now? Probably not more than 15 or 20.
0: Not very many, no.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right? Probably like like to, to me, the line is like a, like a Christian Watson. It's like where it's like I'd be really torn. I feel like I'd probably take a first for Christian Watson. Right, and Christian Watson's probably like in the late teens. In dynasty Super yeah. rankings, yeah, he's he's the first guy where I'm like really on the fence about it. Him and Addison and Johnston are all guys that I'm like coming and hawing about. But like, See, I'd, keep, I'd keep Johnston for sure. I'd easily sell Addison for a first. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I mean, I, I like, I like Addison the most of those three, probably followed by Watson, followed by Johnston. It's uh, interesting
0: you place so much emphasis on Addison's good season, but not his bad one. His, his third season was the exact same on a per-route basis. He just ran less routes. That's not alarming?
1: No. USC beat everybody by 46 points, and he oh. was chilling on the bench. Oh, that makes sense, <laughs> um, I
0: Yeah, that would be, like, the group. But, like, like DK Metcalf.
1: I prefer DK Metcalf to a first. Me?
0: Uh, Why? I'm, cur- I'm curious now. Why would you prefer DK Metcalf to a first? They just drafted JSN. Geno Smith sucks. What? Why? What is the reason? He's never scored. per Seventeen. What? Per game.
1: Uh, talk. Are you talking about Geno uh, you know, Smith? Sucks. What on earth is this? We have one season of like
0: relevance. being awesome before.
1: being sustainably awesome,
0: doing yeah, it in a sustainable fashion. One season of relevance from many quarterbacks in the history of the football game, and who, who
1: that, that that that
0: who performed
1: the way that Geno Smith performed, not just in fantasy, but I know, as a real life quarterback who then faded away into oblivion.
0: Was Gino Smith good?
1: Incredible. How good? Like a top like 10
0: quarterback. Better than Teddy Bridgewater league. when Teddy Bridgewater was lighting up all the advanced like stats?
1: By an absolute mile, yeah.
0: Really? Teddy Bridgewater was like number one in like... In like some goofy stuff. Like He
1: was like a CPOE merchant. And Gino was great in CPOE, but you, you look at unanimously. PFF grades. No, know Jimmy Graham. Or Jimmy Jesse Garoppolo. A Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo? A Jimmy, but Jimmy the hat. Like... And, and Gino didn't even run that kind of offense. Like no. Gino was, Gino was lighting up that stuff. But there was a big difference. Like you also talk to the film bro community. Like the film bro I mean, community like, yeah. has never been. Well, I think it's interesting with quarterbacks because you get a lot of these play action quarterbacks who I think are are the stats. Like you go and see, like you check in on like a Stephen Ruiz or a Theo Ash or a Justin. I do the these quarterbacks. quarterbacks. <laughs> no, these aren't quarterbacks. These are film people. Okay. If
0: you waited if you, in, if you into big film, right? Okay. Just case, a, I think I'm looking at the wrong thing because I'm seeing Geno Smith with a 75.4 PFF grade. That's solid. That's solid. Yeah, he's right beside Jacoby Brissett and Brock Purdy. Yeah, he's really, really good. Top tier. Jacoby G- 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 Brissett played pretty well last year.
1: <laughs> but okay, where what's it like? If you you look at the aggregate of stats, right? You don't. You look at what, what, what is F- the aggregate rate, of stats? ETA, CPOE. You pull out all of the stats and then you aggregate them, and then you look at where this guy finished, and he was generally in that eight to fifteen range across the board. So, like, just completely mediocre. A top half quarterback of the league. Okay, There's thirty-two of
0: them. Where was right, Jacoby Brissett in all these metrics? Pretty well. He performed pretty well. So, so we should draft Jacoby Brissett then.
1: Uh, I'm pretty open to taking flowers on Jacoby Brissett, but I'm definitely open to drafting Geno Smith, who was awesome last year and has people, three. People should be saying people the best people weapons in the league. People should be would saying. You like to make a bet? Okay, would you like to make a bet right now on Aaron Geno Smith versus Russell Wilson. Points per game in 2023.
0: Hmm. Uh,
1: yeah, I would love to. All right, sick. $50 for a
0: buck. $50, a few Gino. $50 for what? Russell Wilson, Geno Smith, points per game. I don't know why and you always make a gamble. Me. I don't even gamble. Is it just like who gets more points? Or is it like some... it's said points per game. No, what it's like who more points per game. Okay. And would you're you going like to put a game minimum. And you're going to take Geno Smith? I'm taking Geno Smith. Well, yeah. You pick any quarterback in the world, and you're picking Geno Smith. Well, no.
1: Would you like to bet Patrick Mahomes versus I Russell? don't I'm know. i Patrick Mahomes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Pardon me.
1: Okay. I would like. I would like to make a Geno Smith focused bet, and I thought that Russell Wilson made sense because it's poetic, and you are very into Russell Wilson. Am Uh, I very into Russell Wilson
0: more so than you're into Geno Smith?
1: Well, that's why I asked you if you wanted to take the bets. We could find out. Oh my god, are you new? Are you like new at life? Reasonable. Oh my god, we'll talk about this on off air. This is absurd.
0: Oh my goodness, Geno Smith was like, wow. I, you know what I may stand corrected he had a 0 point086 EPA per play is that good it's okay but his that CPOE looks like his on charts. quarterback 17 or 18 and what was his what was the EPA cPOe composite you told me cPOe doesn't matter because Teddy Bridgewater was good at it That's not what I said oh he's number seven when you add them together number seven uh he also what what well, i just i'm just gonna go back a couple of years and see where teddy wound up because i'm pretty sure he was high yeah you know, i haven't
1: um mm-hmm. one of the i think one of the big differences in why i'm buying into the geno stuff more before you interrupted me is when you do look at a lot of the film-based quarterback analysts they've like never been all in on a lot of these kind of guys who light up a lot of the events that's that the general community at large is more skeptical of. Like you're never finding like Jimmy G film stands, Teddy Bridgewater film stands, but like pretty much to a man, like anybody whose job it is to watch quarterbacks on film and give takes of them. Like people are in on Gino as like a legitimately good quarterback. And I'm inclined to believe them. Like, I think you watch him play. Like he looks legit to me much more than like a Jimmy Garoppolo did. And his situation is so good that he's going to get carried. Like DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Jackson, and Jigba, I think is really solid. I'm in on Gino. I, I'm. I get that it was the one year. I, I think it's pretty likely he's just a league average quarterback or a little bit better.
0: And yeah, that's great a quarterback.
1: Right, and if you're a league average the quarterback best. With, the best, with the best weapons in the league, then you're going to be better than league average. Huh. Huh. He's even priced like, a, he's priced like a league average quarterback. And he has DK Metcalf, JSN, and Tyler Lockett.
0: Also, yeah, I mean, Drew Lockett come in at any moment. Yeah, I'm sure. All um, Cap I heard was this is you know a wide-open competition. Drew Lockett is just as good as Geno Smith. You don't have a base first than DK Metcalf? Like, I get that the
1: impact of the hit might be higher. Yeah, I definitely do have a base first than DK Metcalf at this point, I think. I mean DK Metcalf was wide receiver 12 and expected fantasy points per game this year. His target share has been 25.5%, 27.3% over the last couple of years. Like I don't think he's ever gonna be like a top five wide receiver without running really hot. But I, I think he's a good player. Like you, you, have, to player, for sure. you have to get fortunate. Like, you have to get pretty fortunate in the first round of a rookie draft to draft a player that's gonna carry the level of trade value that DK Metcalf took.
0: Yeah, DK Metcalf's wide receiver 10, wide receiver 20, wide receiver 24 the last three years. Um, I'd certainly rather yeah, have but a Zoom to the profile first than that. Yeah, strong disagree. Because you like fringy nothingness wide receivers that don't what's, help. Because what's the, what's the
1: point? I can trade DK Metcalf for something that gets me closer to a legitimate scoring ceiling a lot faster than I can trade that first. I can, can use trade- DK Metcalf I mean, I don't actually roster him in Dynasty, but if I did roster DK Metcalf, like... It sounds like you I should. Mean, I should not. I uh, actually would It'd be more interested now. Like, his, his price has come down a little bit since the JSN thing, which is reasonable. Not in redraft. He still goes with the 2-3 turn. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you can get... Like, if You can use DK Metcalf. but like he goes into similar ranges like Devontae Adams and Cooper Cup. Like, I don't think you're trading a singular future first for Cooper cop, but you could do DK Metcalf in a little bit. You get Cooper cop quite a lot more conceivably.
0: Yeah. I would happily trade DK Metcalf to get Cooper cop. That sounds like a great deal. Right. So why would you trade him for something that you can't trade to get Cooper cop? Because I like drop picks because they don't get hurt and they don't score points. (laughs) Yeah. You want to avoid points. I did. I like, I'm sitting here thinking, what would I rather have? you know, a player who's probably not going to score enough points to make an impact in my team or a draft pick that could be Caleb Williams or could be a late first and which I'll probably get another top 24 wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, but I look,
1: it's kind of, it kind of goes both ways almost. Like, would I trade my draft pick for DK Metcalf? No. Would I trade DK Metcalf for a 24 first? Also no. I think it's just the opportunity of <laughs> how to use that. just guy uh,
0: in uh, the league who doesn't want to trade anyone. No, it's a matter of... <laughs>
1: yeah, there are only so many draft picks, right? So using your own first in a trade is like a bullet, you kind of only get to fire once. So I want to use that bullet
0: well, Let's say you have a stack team. You have a stack team. So your first is late. Or, yeah, or you mean, get somebody it, else's first, and the first is late. You like you know okay. in your heart of hearts, it's a late first. You're not. Oh, I forward. mean, for sure,
1: I would easily trade that for DK Metcalf, but I would probably try to trade it for something else. I guess like I, if, if my only two options in that scenario are trade this late first for DK Metcalf or hold this late first and make a pick, I would much rather have DK Metcalf. But would you into that? I I would probably, but again, like you, these firsts are a very finite resource and they're the most liquid currency you have. So I kind of want ready? to trade them into something like get more interesting. But at the same time, that you're just losing in the market if you trade Metcalf
0: you're, for a single person. You're like, the first is l- extremely liquid and extremely rare, and they're like, but I don't want it. I'd rather have DK Metcalf, who only, like, like, I don't even know who's buying DK Metcalf. There's no team that I can think of that wants to buy DK Metcalf. Good teams People don't like want DK him because he doesn't score enough. Bad teams don't want him because he isn't young enough. So, like, who's buying DK Metcalf? I don't even know. I think diving to be I haven't seen him traded in
1: a long time.
0: I haven't either. Now that, you, now that we've Maybe brought we
1: this up. So
0: it. I think if you were to ask me, do I want a base first, which could be early or late, I would roll the dice and hope that it's an early first. And if it's late, so be it. I'll take that first and move it for something else that's going to be a top 24 wide receiver. If, I, if my team is taking,
1: I would be interested in that. Although I probably wouldn't just because I really think I can get a better offer than that
0: for Beckett. What Like, what are you going to get? Nobody's buying them. First and a second. (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, no, I'm... Well, ideally, in the 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 scenario where
1: where I have Metcalf and I'm competing, then I probably would be looking to get Cup or Diggs or Hill. Like, I'd be looking to a team that is... Like, there's always a couple teams in every league where there's a guy whose team is bad, but he does not never want to rebuild through picks. Like his base setting as a player is I hate draft picks. Rookies could be anything so that when they rebuild, like what they want to do is they want to just buy a bunch of young players and that's bad. That's not like how you could do it, but that's like, there's always going to be that manager. So I would try to find that manager and hope that they have like a cup or a McCaffrey or a digs or whatever else. And then I like use Metcalf to go and get one of those elite veterans.
0: Okay, So let's, let's break it down into much more simpler terms than the world is our oyster. We can have whatever we want or DK Metcalf to, you have to have a base first or DK Metcalf. Those are your only options. Right. So we're in a snake draft
1: and every first is available in the league and there, and you don't know who's first you're getting. So they're just randomly yep. assigned firsts. Exactly. Um And you can either draft a first or you can draft DK Metcalf. Mm-hmm. Um. Do I have to hold this for the next four months or can I then just make it under trade?
0: Uh, I don't know. Whatever you want. You choose.
1: Okay, well, in the world where I can make another under trade, I'm going to take DK Metcalf. In the world where I... Isn't the drop off, more the tradable than
0: DK Metcalf?
1: Don't think so. No. Disagree. More more tradable? Okay, more tradable? Yes. Higher
0: ceiling of return? No. Like More tradable is in if I walk if you don't think it a I'm higher ceiling if you end up picking a base first and that base first guy you hold it for four months he tanks yeah, yeah, yeah no no massive, massive higher ceiling no, no.
1: Half, yes 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 higher ceiling on the asset. I'm saying if I wake up today and I have a first, but in this scenario is a real league, so it's probably not a base first. So let's, let's say it's a mid-first team that's kind of on the fringes. I have that and I have Metcalf. I wake up today determined to move the first. I have a better chance of moving the first. But I wake up today determined to get the best possible return, and the only two things I can move are either Metcalf or the first. I think I have a higher chance to get more for Metcalf than I do the first. But I might not be able to get anything for Metcalf at all. Because so I walked up to anybody in the league, I said, do you want a first? The answer is always yes. What will they give me? I don't know. I think if I find someone who's interested in buying Metcalf, I'm going to get a better return than I'm going to get out of that first. But I might not find anybody interested in buying Metcalf at cost. It, okay. it, would, it would be more dependent.
0: Let me let me give you some real trades for DK Metcalf. You ready? All right, let's hear them. DK yeah. Metcalf in a second, 2024 20, second. We're assuming base. Yeah. For T Higgins and Tyler Lockett.
1: Yeah, that's a way better thing than you could get for
0: a first. That's awesome. I love that trade for the <laughs> Higgins that's Lockett. That's incredible. Time. I would happily trade my DK Metcalf in a second for T Higgins and Tyler Lockett yeah well i would i would if i could
1: trade a second for tyler lockett in every league i'm in that's like probably my favorite trade on earth it's just trading a second for tyler lockett or keenan allen um and then yeah also sure i'll take higgins instead of metcalf for free i'll take okay, three years
0: younger dk okay dk Metcalf for brock purdy Devin a chain and uh john mechie so basically D- metcalf for purdy <laughs>
1: Okay, that, I strongly object to you rendering a chain to an affirmation uh, to an also the trade. I mean, that's like such a goofy trade because I think that the value is pretty even, but it's just like stupid to like take one asset that's worth roughly a first and like devolve it into three things. But also... But I don't think like the, like, the value is bad. I also wouldn't do that trade either way. Like if I was trying to bundle up Purdy and A-Chain and Mechie, I would try to bundle up for something more interesting than Metcalf. But if I have Metcalf, I wouldn't be like, "How can I trade him?" Well,
0: I need to get three guys. You're like the most difficult person to ask a simple trade question. Which side? You? I don't want either side of that trade. <laughs> yeah, because if I had either of those assets, I wouldn't do that trade. It's true. I okay. Here's a much simpler one: DK Metcalf, Metcalf for Zay Flowers and Rondale Moore. DK Metcalf. Clearly, that's. A first and a second. That's your trade you were asking for. First yeah, and a third. Well, Zay Flowers is a shitty first, right? Like, if you, that's if
1: you, that's the bad end of the base first. That's, that's oh. if you take the bay first and it doesn't go so well. You end up with Zay Flowers. Okay. DK Metcalf. This is a lot of, I actually did, funny enough, I actually did a pretty similar deal to that. So maybe I shouldn't knock it as much because I actually traded Christian Watson for Zay Flowers and Sky Moore the other day.
0: Oh, nice. Okay. So, pardon me. DK Metcalf and Nico Collins, so basically DK Metcalf
1: Mm-mm. for
0: Daniel Jones a you third know, a third and a fourth So basically DK Metcalf for Daniel Jones
1: Yeah, I would rather have DK Metcalf and Daniel Jones. Yeah, I don't think you're I don't I don't I don't know how lucky you are Trading a first for Daniel Jones these days. It's not that I have tried, to be clear. I have not I've not <laughs> offered that but people, people are loving Daniel Jones
0: oh, I just I cannot even you get, you get any anymore? more. Do I have more? Yeah, there's lots. DK Metcalf in a first for Bryce Young. Can I say neither again? No, it's like <laughs> the worst radio stuff. ever. You're like, let's make it as boring as possible. I have no opinions. <laughs> <laughs> what would you? Well, what would you do in that scenario? Uh I would take probably Bryce Young.
1: Ew, Talking about low ceiling. You're taking your first, and you're taking DK Metcalf, and you're taking. Bryce
0: young yeah i mean because like i'm not gonna keep bryce young but i think i can get bryce young into like i i don't know i feel like right, so I mean, maybe this is either. wrong you 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 make more trades than i do maybe i'm wrong i feel like i can take bryce young and get into kyler murray a lot easier than i can D- I don't know. I dk Metcalf first what's that i
1: i is it so hard for me to say i played 62 leagues I have zero shares of DK Metcalf and one of Kyler Murray or one of Bryce Young. So <laughs> I really am not the person to ask.
0: I, I, I'm more just asking in a, in a general sense, not in like this particular two player. Um, like, if I want a quarterback, I feel like I can get a quarterback with a quarterback <laughs> easier than I can with a wide receiver.
1: Yeah. I mean, it always depends on the person. I mean, the thing, the only issue with people selling Kyler,
0: it's obviously the Kyler, just they're... a quarterback. I want Lamar. I want Deshaun. I want. Patrick Mahomes. Like, I feel like I can't get one of those yeah. unless I'm giving back a quarterback. So, okay.
1: Well, like, yeah, um, you probably do need to give a quarterback. I I agree. It's very difficult to buy a quarterback without a quarterback.
0: So then in this case, I'd probably spend a little premium to get Bryce Young and then take my Bryce Young and go get a real quarterback that's going to score fantasy points. Yeah.
1: The, the only thing I found is, like, I found that this whole, like, so I don't really have a lot of Bryce Young, but I, I do, I did end up with, like, a decent chunk of CJ Stroud just because he was so frequently, like, the guy that was there at 1-6 and So I would just take him. Um, I found that like trying to do Stroud for other quarterbacks and add the plus that would make sense with ADP was impossible. Um, Where it's like, I get it. I guess when people are doing a startup and they're like, I need my quarterbacks, like the idea of like a really young quarterback is appealing. But when you already have Lamar Jackson, you're like, I don't want to give up 10 points per game this year. It's like less appealing. where I did have success moving Stroud was, was moving him for not a quarterback, right? It was going to a team that had like long-term quarterback strife. Like maybe their QB2 this year was Baker Mayfield. And they're like, I don't know how that's going to work out. Um, and they were like, the idea of just having that second stable option is appealing and then getting like, I don't know, a running back and a first or whatever
0: else with Stroud. That I, mean, I could like, do. You met Calf a first.
1: Yeah, like that, that kind of potential deal. That's not what I did, but that kind of possibility was possible. The only issue is like, most of my teams, that was fine because I wasn't usually taking Stroud for need. But there was some teams where I was like, I do need a quarterback. So I would move Stroud, but I don't want to move Stroud for not a quarterback. And then I've just found myself kind of boxed in.
0: Yeah, I could see that. I think with uh, Stroud, trade, Stroud.
1: I bet you can trade Stroud for Gino in a
0: first. Gross. Mm-hmm. Absolutely mm-hmm. not. See, Gino needs to be good at football for the first time in his life before I'm going to buy in. First, okay. This is all right. <laughs> Anyways, uh um, I have the Seahawks projected very well, by the
1: way. For uh I know we got we got a little off track by the end, but um I have Gino, eighteen point seven points per game. a fourteen point three on DK, thirteen point eight on Lockett, and eleven point three on JSN, which leaves for a lot of contingent upside for each of those if one of them should should befall an injury. Um for the haters and the losers that are curious, I have a really shitty projection on Ken- Kenneth Walker. I have 12.3 points per game. I'm sure he'll beat that and smash my face in, but it is
0: what yeah. it is. I think that you're probably projecting the Seahawks too too strongly because their quarterback sucks, and I don't think you took that into consideration.
1: Uh, I'm glad that you have Geno Slander on air. I don't think that the 2023 season will be kind to the Geno Slanderers.
0: You're projecting for – wow, Okay. Four thousand four hundred forty-four passing yards. How many do you have last year? I'm sure.
1: Uh, I have their efficiency going up because his his last year he kind of had a weird season where his completion percentage was absurdly high, yeah. but um, his like yards per attempt was like pretty meh. I also think that adding JSN, they're gonna be in a spot where they're passing out of eleven a lot more. We're changing a lot of Will Disley targets into JSN targets. That sounds a lot like he was. It. He was forty. He was forty-two, eighty-two last year. So I'm projecting a little mm-hmm. bit of improvement from that.
0: That's not much. It's pretty well in line. No. Shocking. Absolutely shocking. All right. Um, where can people find you, Drew? You can find me on Patreon. So come there. <laughs> you you like, up up. like You're just like on Patreon. Come and join the, uh, the Discord, and then on Twitter at dfb encounter and then also on youtube i believe that one's still set up as bulletproof fantasy football so come and come and find me in all those places
1: sweet um you can find me of course at thinking about thinking that's JacobSanderson. find me on twitter at jacob sanderson uh, i will probably have my busiest writing week since the draft next week uh this has been a kind of hectic week i've been squeezing out the posts some projections some ranking posts when i've had the chance between bar exam study but i uh i'll be wrapped up with that as a friday i'm going camping on the weekend and then from starting next monday i'm going to be just trying to get out a post probably every couple of days i'm going to have a post about Devonte adams and why he's being incredibly disrespected being drafted as the wide receiver 10 in seasonal leagues when only three total wide receivers have outscored them in the last three years. Uh, I'm going to have a post all about the chargers and just how I have totally changed my mind on all their players after projecting them out. Um, and I'm going to have uh, a post about the really ambiguous backfields. I'm going to talk about the Eagles. I'm going to talk about the bears. I'm going to talk about the saints. I'm going to talk about the dolphins. So set it for all those, make sure subscribe to thinking about thinking. I also have full, the updated underdog rankings, a fully updated dynasty rankings, and I will soon have fully updated redraft rankings along with the projections up there. Um, Yeah. Have a good night, everybody. Any last words, any parting words? I have no parting
0: words, Oh no, I do. I do. I do. Wait, wait, wait. Buy Sky more. Well, unless he's expensive already, then don't do it. I I think, I think if you want Sky more at this point,
1: you're probably going to have to pay more than you want. Like at this point, at this point, the hype rate is so high that I don't feel like anyone's going to be like, yeah, I'll ditch him for a late two. Like, I feel like people are either genuinely excited or they're holding out for something really good. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Could,
0: anything's possible.
1: Anything is possible. All right. Have a good night, everybody, or morning or afternoon or whenever it is you listen to this show. love.